People can see Jay Deville over here. Um, hi, peoples. Welcome. Hey, everybody. Let me just raise your volume a teensy bit. That should be good. Alrighty, let's get into it. My name is Holden Stefan Roy, and welcome to Bridge the Gap. This is the show where we take interesting people, such as yourself, Mr. J. DeVille, and we walk through the story of your lives, and we extract some knowledge nuggets. That That's basically the show in a nutshell. Um, but to get us all off a little bit proper, we need to we need to know where Mr. J. DeVille comes from. So if you can do a little brief introduction here, just kind of drop your name. Most importantly, where you start the early years of your life and uh, maybe a little synopsis on who you are and what you do kind of thing. Yeah, all right. Um, so uh, I was born in 91. My parents were from the South Shore, so I unfortunately spent the first three years of my life down there in Greenfield Park. Nobody knows that about me. Um, but aside from that, I'm LaSalle through and through. I, I spent my entire life in LaSalle uh, from elementary, you know, all the way through high school. And I only moved out of LaSalle just a few years ago at the age of 28. Mm. 47. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, um, I guess my hip hop journey or whatever begins in the nineties. Nah, so. I don't worry about when oh, it begins. We're gonna get all, We're gonna do all that part. I just needed to know where you're from a little bit, okay? Because that leads into all the right, first question. All right, so yeah, LaSalle through and through, man. Um, and then you make the yeah, hip hop. Yeah, I like to move around LaSalle a lot. What's that? You make the hip hop music for a while, and then I think you became a chef. Uh, well, yeah, it started as a dishwasher. 2009 um amazing at that point in my life at 18 years old i'd done nothing but sell weed and try to rap fair badly. so we're gonna run through this with a lot more detail then and get the ball off proper just as good to let yeah, them know yeah, who yeah. you are and where you're from because i got my first real question it's a little bit of a doozy it takes a minute to get through because it's a little bit of a story and then when it lands you can answer it do what you gotta do with the question and we'll just keep you on course type thing um and hey. it starts with my girlfriend and she's washing the dishes and she's got her phone out and she's playing that black eyed peas sound i got a feeling ooh. and she's doing her thing she's right. dancing she's washing dishes and i'm looking at her and i'm like yo when the hell did this song become dishes music right because if you think about this track right it's kind of like it's it's a fun vibe but now it's the kind of song you would put on when you wash dishes when you exercise when you go do some stuff like that but if you really think about this track run it back about 10 years that was the highlight of the club song. Like when that came on, it was oh, yeah. like the moment of the night. Everybody's dancing together, beautiful times. Yeah. And it was just like like universal. I asked the dude in South Africa, same experience. This song is everywhere. Everybody loved it, kind of thing. And then it was the party vibe. It was this whole thing. 10 years later, the song does not change, but somehow it's the <laughs> exercise music and it's all this shit. And so I realized as we get older, the way we contextualize the music inside of our environments kind of evolves a little bit, which made me realize all these little ones dancing to the Cardi B's and stuff have no idea that this is going to turn out to be some dishes music for them. And then um, kind of got me like, go ahead, wait a second. It's not just that the Cardi B is going to become dishes music. It's that to a certain group of people, it already is the dishes music. And it's that club music becomes dishes music. 
And that to me was huge. And if songs can evolve and if music can evolve over time like that, it means that like our musical journeys and our whole like life plans and stuff, they're all like kind of like that as well with evolutions. And uh, when we think about our hip hop journeys or, our, or all of this stuff, we often go to this adolescent point where whatever happens, we start forming our identities. These things start getting attached to it. But really that's nowhere near the start of the story. That's not when the story starts. It actually starts like probably back when you were still on the South Shore, as little as you can possibly oh, yeah. remember. And what really is going on is that it's not so much the hip hop, it's music. Music is around oh, you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like, so like I can picture like being four or five years old, my dad's got these gray boxes, the amp, the tape deck, the radio, the wires is going all around the apartment to the speakers. He's busting Led Zeppelin shits through his fucking tape deck. At nighttime, we got MC Mario's club mixes blasting off the radio from wherever he's at. Um, Mario, yep. My mom's into discos and musicals and things like that. At Christmas time, I remember it was like just the one day we would bust out the EDM Christmas song <laughs> remix album and bust that shit out. That was it one day. All I'm trying to say is when we really think about music while we do start it later off it really comes all the way back to like our earliest memories oh, yeah. of music and often before we had any control over the music in our life so i was hoping you could run us back to the youngest jadaville you can remember and oh, a little okay. bit of what, yeah, yeah, yeah. what it was like sounded like to be you but not in the context of you starting to be a rapper no no, no. i just want to know what it sounded <laughs> like to be you your parents what yeah, they my, was my into and all that music shit in general is what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. how your okay. parents bumped it uh, brother all this shit. that's easy bro that's easy both my parents are from uh you know the boomer era they were both born in 55 so they were raised in the 60s early 70s so that was the music, you know, that was the first music I was exposed to, really. The first bands I remember really knowing are, like, the Beatles, uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival. Um, I mean, to a lesser extent, uh, the music of the time, too, like the mid-90s, the Backstreet Boys, the Spice Girls, you know, all that, whatever. But that's just because the music of the time, that was whatever. But my first passion <clears throat> for music developed with classic rock. I actually started listening to those records of my own volition at, like, seven years old. Straight memorizing up. the lyrics yeah um so i have like a really long uh, history with a lot of bands like that ccr i still listen to to this day uh, okay you know, so so what 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 thing. leads a seven-year-old jay deville to like being like fuck that i'm gonna get into classic rock now like how do you get to that transition of well, starting I mean, to care my parents right my, my parents would well i mean my parents were drinkers uh which caused them to speak a lot let's <laughs> so to speak uh, and they'd be like, oh, you got to sit down and listen to this. You got to sit there. My mom, too, would be like, oh, you got to listen to this. You got to listen to this. And so it was really my parents drove it in my head. But I mean, I I don't know. It, it spoke to me to some degree. You know what I mean? So you're saying my your parents would like force you to like go listen to music? Yeah, like, not force me, but they would play it a lot, obviously. That's dope. And I remember I would sit down with my dad, and my dad would be like, oh, have you ever heard of this? Well, let me tell you about that. Get all, uh, you know, ex uh, get all. <clears throat> like a professor about it kind of thing he starts just going on and on about anyway just drilling this shit into my head because he was like a music nerd but only for his time uh anything after 1975 my dad won't even listen to you know what i mean <laughs> uh but like i loved it though i mean like that music you know i remember falling in love with 10 years after uh, falling in love with jethro tell uh led zeppelin um uh, yeah, a lot of, just a lot of, like, 70s, uh, even 60s, like, punk, uh, 60s, like, folk rock, like, uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, you know what I mean? Like, real hippie shit. Um, I've always liked it, but it's, like, 
that wasn't part of my identity, I guess. No, nah, that's I usually how it is. The same way. It's just part of my like my early, early days of understanding music and, and appreciating music and all that. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't discover hip hop really or fall in love with hip hop rather until I was about 10. Um, but like what I understand from what we've got is your dad is a big music nerd drilled in information into you. your parents was constantly shoving music down your throat so around seven you decide i i'm gonna get into classic rock and then you're just kind of bumping what your parents have because it sounds good you're a curious beaver and then somewhere around the age of 10 you discover hip -hop. yeah because basically like that's that's all that we had laying around the house man that's that's all we had laying around the house was like uh like i said beatles and credence and shit like that mm. so you know I'd have a lot of time to myself. I was kind of a loner as a kid, you know? So I'd spend a lot of time just listening to whatever records I could find lying around the house. I mean, even, <laughs> this is kind of funny, Jewel. <laughs> Remember Jewel in the 90s? Um, my mom had a copy of her album. To be fair, it's a good album. Yo, what up, Rico Blocks? But flash forward album. a little bit later. Uh, what up, Rico? Yeah. And so you flash forward a little bit later. My older brother. Before we flash uh, forward, I gotta ask a question. People know my brother Dozy. Before yeah. we flash forward, go ahead. Um, why are you young? Do you have like other hobbies and passions you have too? Like, are you into drawing, sports, that kind of stuff? <laughs> At that age, yeah. not really. Fair enough. <clears throat> I mean, I tried to play. I tried to play certain sports. <clears throat> I played with soccer a little bit. I played like little league uh, baseball a little bit, but it's never super, super into sports. Um, I tried drawing. I've never been good at it. I've actually fucked around with graffiti since I was very young too, but I've never been super great at it either. That's fair. All right. So how did those? Uh, shit. No, as a kid, man, it was just a lot of. Hmm? So I was like, yeah, so it's just a bunch of music. You know, sometimes people have answers you ask. If not, we just keep moving on. And, uh, yeah, so how did Dozy get you into uh, hip-hop? Well, on his side, it's like, because uh, he grew up, we're, we're Raph brothers, so he grew up with his dad a lot. Uh, and uh, he had the opportunity to look, you know, he was part of that later 90s culture where you can make mixtapes out of, uh, like, the cassette tapes and shit. So he would do that a lot. I'm actually surprised he didn't become a DJ because he's one of the few people I know who's got the most in-depth music knowledge and is not a musician himself. Um, so he would make these tapes and burn CDs like crazy. Uh, and I would end up getting a bunch of them, you know. I remember my 12th birthday, he would just come he would come through with like, here's a mixtape I made for you, you know. And that's the first time I heard clips and that's the first time I heard Dipset. That's the first time I heard fuck man what else was on that i mean like just anyway and again like i said as a kid i wasn't i wasn't a very social kid you know so i would sit around and just listen to records on repeat and shit you know what i mean <clears throat> and the hip-hop thing i don't know just growing up watching rap city you know i remember triumph being a new video on mtv and or what or rap city or whatever the case being extremely young watching that on tv you know so you never really falling into it until about too. Yeah, 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 yeah. When I could, you know, uh, we didn't have cable very often, but when we did, I remember I get to watch like some of the earliest rap videos. I remember seeing, or like I said, Triumph, um, Give Me Some Mo by uh, by uh, Busta. 
uh, funky, those weird, weird late 90s videos, you know? It was a vibe. I don't know. Eventually, you got to follow it. Hey? Yeah, the late 90s is the strangest time for music videos because no one had determined that they don't make money like we know now. So the budgets were fucking insane. Like nobody will ever get like music video budgets like they were getting in the late 90s again, just on some they know what they can pull off of those videos now. Did you hear that? Or did it cut? Weird back then too. Like especially rap videos, how strange they were. And I don't know, fuck man, I go back, I watch them with nostalgia now, cause. Yeah, I know. They, they're a whole vibe. I mean, I mean rap, that takes me back. I find videos now are just kind of like simpler. I mean, some people do some crazy, interesting stuff. Like some people really do, but I find most people like, as a person who doesn't like to gamble on things, I don't feel it's worth it to check out most people's music videos unless I get word of mouth recommendations ahead of time that it's actually dope. Like that's where I'm at with music yeah. videos now. Um, so, yeah. But you're still growing up in that culture there, um, watching that, and then you're getting into this mixtape vibe because your brother. Um, at what point are you like, yo, I really want to start doing this rap thing? Uh, so that would be him too. Him and his buddies used to freestyle. They'd come around and I watched them do it, and I'm like 11. And, you know, I'm an impressionable kid and I want to be like my older brother, you know what I mean? It's his cool buddies and shit that all smoke weed and all this. Um, and they're the ones, it was mostly my brother, but him and his buddies uh, who ended up becoming TNT, uh, Dumar Brown and Chase Dog and guys like that, would be like, oh, come on, little guy, come on, little guy, try to rap with us, you know? Obviously, I sucked, but they encouraged me. Um, yeah, my brother would come and he'd see me writing down, like, I used to, like, copy... Uh, textbooks full of fucking people's lyrics, Tupac and Immortal Technique and people who I thought had really powerful lyrics. <clears throat> and he would catch me writing these things and telling me like, you know, you should just write your own shit, bro. And I was like, what does like 12 year old little Jade have to write about that could be expressed through hip hop music, you know? <clears throat> so it took a very long time, just like all of us, it took a very long time to like find the appropriate you know, subjects and, and how to write, how to put cadence together, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, yeah, although I wasn't very good for a very long time, you know, as a kid, it was still like, uh, it was very fun to me. I mean, I think it's pretty nifty that you would write out lyrics at like 12 years old like that. I mean, I was just thinking yeah, about man. it because I remember like being at Wager and because I didn't have the shit at home, using the the printer to like print out the lyrics at that time. That was my whole mm, shtick. I used to run it through the school and I would just get stacks of fucking lyric papers. I never actually had to do the writing thing. But fuck, that's a level of dedication to actually put in. Like, you must remember bars after fucking handwriting out a bunch of lyrics like that. Oh, yeah, dude. Uh, still to this day, every time I write a new 16, I sit there and I, re I recite it over and over. And then I put the shit down and I recite it over and over. And then it's like... I can just pick it up anytime. As long as I remember the first bar, the rest kind of just fall in place. Definitely wise. Um, so you're basically doing this as like an early teenager then. You're getting into the starting to write your own rhymes or are you still like copying? Yeah, I'd say I, read, I'd say I wrote my first verses at like 12. And, and I actually still remember some of the bars. I will not tell anybody the bars, obviously. It's no fun. Um, you can tell us. We want to hear it. <laughs> but, like, no, I could vaguely remember some of them, you know what I mean? And being like, 
I was trying, you know, and I was listening to like a lot of really street shit. I didn't find this nerdy rap shit that I listen to now, like Aesop and shit, till later in my life. I grew up listening to like, um, like Mob Deep and Nas and like the the you know the mid '90s New York shit, really grimy, uh, dark sound. You know what I mean? So uh, it took a long time for me to take that and make it my own kind of thing because obviously I'm not living the same reality, so I can't portray the same kind of, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not living the same reality, so I can't re- I make exactly the same kind of music that these guys were making, but I wanted to make something that sounded like it because I love that sound so much. Still to this day, if I'm in a cypher and like a, like a, just a piano loop kind of beat comes on, like drop a gem on them or something and I'll just go stupid. Like, it just I love that shit. That and I one one thing I realized about myself around that age and is still true to this day is that I like dark music. Um that sure that happy sunshine kind of fun loving music is super fun and a lot of it's great. But I find that with me personally, darker hip hop always resonated with me. It started I guess with like Tupac and his like deeper songs, uh My Only Fear of Death, uh shit like that later falling into things like Mortal Technique and uh, Jedi Mind Tricks you know what I mean like the really darker hardcore hip hop fair enough (laughs) so with that you're trying to like discover your identity over high school you're kind of like running it through um at what point do you like actually get like do you are you you also i guess at this point like performing or freestyling with the peoples and kind of like is it more of a isolated thing or are you kind of working with your brother squad at this point do around the way sorry um it's something you would do on the block kind of thing something you do around the way you know what i mean you just do it for fun and shit like that once in a while i would try to get like primitive mp3 players or like my old fucking 98 laptop desktop rather uh try to like put the speakers next to this shitty little microphone and then record like that you know what i mean actually as far back as 2005 uh I fucking threw that computer away, unfortunately, but in 2005, there was a weekend or an entire week where Chase, Doom, and a bunch of those Heights dudes were, uh, they were spending a couple days at my mom's house. She was away for the week or something. So we were doing all of, like, these guys were about 18, 19, 20, 21, something like that. I'm about 14, 2005, I'm 14, and um, we spent days actually recording the shittiest tracks on like the earliest beats from Stu Gatz. Some of the first beats he ever made, some of the first beats Sky Beats ever made. Um, and it's me, Dumar, and Chase, and my brother. And we're just fucking around. And some of it was good, clever, fun, you know, but ultimately it's not something we would release into the populace. <laughs> it was something that we just were fucking around with. We were young. And yeah. I think that's my earliest account of actually trying to make music. You know, it's weird. And this is just weird to me. It might not be weird to you. A lot of people say to me, like, I would never release that today. And I'm like, bro, you put up a Patreon and you say for $20 a month, you get to hear a track of these a month, bro. You're fucking rich. You know what I mean? Like, that's where we're at in the world. People actually really want to hear that kind of, not because it's like to laugh at it. It's weird. People just got like really into 
I want to hear the 16-year-old cuts of the people I like in their 30s. I'm like, people just really dig that shit like trivia. Yeah, but, you know, you're setting yourself up for disappointment a lot, though, because you was just listening to a bunch of drunk kids yell into a fucking microphone that was built in 93 or whatever. Yeah, no, I want to hear you know that. I mean? I mean, but like, I don't want to hear <laughs> that like I'm trying to vibe to a, a smashing tune. I want to hear that like a time capsule of no, being just for young. Because most of us who really yeah. do that are actually just thinking back to us being 15 living kind of through your rhymes so it's got like a lot of value for a lot of people yeah. beyond say what one would think I think that's what yeah uh yeah so for those that know about it friends of mine from the neighborhood and shit um yeah under a different alias uh, if you dig for it on the internet under the name jayster j-a-y-s-t-e-r uh yeah that's me and even some of the beats were mine it is terrible but, uh, oh shit you used to make beats too because you went so into Say again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Terribly. Terribly. But yeah, you would show it too, though. Uh, that The Reverb Nation shit, since you're kind of into that. I'm just saying, anybody who wants to find it will find it. Because you, know, you can find Jester from your SoundCloud, and then that's traceable to your name, so the whole rabbit trail is available to anyone who really wants to dig. And people don't know to go check that's Reverb true. Nation. That, you know, nobody deleted shit from Reverb Nations. The facts are Reverb Nations. Trust. Everybody's exactly. Reverb Nation that's what is all still this 2007, there. 2008 material is still just laying ah. around there. It was so good. <laughs> Back when the Reverb Nation charts used to matter. Yeah. <laughs> Number seven, rapping for done. <laughs> um, yeah, you know. <laughs> but like... Um, so you were, how did you get into beat making? Tell us a bit about that too, because that's fucking nifty, even if it wasn't a huge success. Uh, shit, yeah. I mean, I actually just re-downloaded a Fruity Loops uh, uh, thing just to fuck around with it because it's fun. Um, but I don't have the... Anyways, I guess it starts with sitting down with Sky because Sky Beats, shout out Sky Beats. I fucking shout love out that Sky dude. Beats. He's amazing. Uh, his little brother is one of my best friends. Okay. Um, so we all grew up together. We're all from LaSalle. Uh, and his little brother Winfield, shout out Winfield. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's been one of my best friends since like very, very young. And Sky, his brother, Dozer, my brother, they would all chill together. Uh, so we would all click up together, you know, eventually. I guess at about 16, grade 10 ish, uh, I sat down with Sky at his crib and he showed me Fruity Loops for the first time ever. And I was like, this is so fucking cool, <laughs> you know? Um, and eventually, uh, when I got my first laptop at 17, I downloaded a cracked version of, uh, Fruity Loops and I just started fucking around with it. And then I had Rogues, uh, sorry, Stuart Gatz. I had Stuart Gatz, um, and Skybeats sending me, like, VSTs and plugins to, to fuck around with to see what I could do. So, I did make several dozen beats, uh, in my life. That's it. Most of them not very good. I made one. Mm -hmm on fruity loops and it was it's on spotify because i said fuck i'm gonna put out all the old shit <laughs> yeah yeah um, maybe one day i'll have the stones to put out all no, that you know what happened shit, though i fucking swear because ismail just commented um i put out the old shit and ismail fucking is like i like this better than everything you've done since and i'm like say what that's not, it's not really, really what you want to hear, but then it made me realize, I mean, hey, it's fucking nifty that my 2009 bullshit beat is appealing to somebody, right? Like that's fucking yeah, a mind yeah. trip. So you just realize you'd never know what anybody's into. 
and everybody's listening to shit yeah. on an iPhone 6 anyway. When I say everybody, I mean big stats. You're more likely to have somebody on a shitty phone speaker hearing your music than any other kind of device. So Yeah, yeah, most likely. Um, maybe it's the way I use my voice. Fair enough. I had a shittier voice back then. Everyone hated it. Everyone used to criticize my voice for being flat and monotone. And then I was like, eh, that's not my favorite. Yeah, it's flat and monotone right now. I realize the irony in that statement. <laughs> um, but uh, so yeah, but you progress with it. You know, that's what we do. Yeah, it's uh, you can't sound the exact same now as you did ten years ago, right? I don't even think it's or, possible. You know, like I life. literally can't fake the voice I used to have. Like I used to smoke cigarettes, part of it, like that fuck okay. that hits your voice. So since I stopped tobacco, the whole register of my voice went up. It's like higher pitch than it used to be. So I'd literally have to go <laughs> into like cigarette smoking okay. in abundance to hit the kind of ranges I was in back when I was like fucking smoking cigarettes. So like, yeah, yeah, eh, it'll never sound like that because she'll fucking kill me if I start smoking cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> Not for real. I'll smoke like yeah, a yeah. cig here and there. And bro, like for two days, I'm like, oh, I don't have the same control on my voice I want. It's fucking crazy the impact it has. <laughs> um, anyway, back to you. Um, you're basically in high school then clicking up with people who would go on to do fucking big things in the city. Like on the real. Sky Beats is not a small name. And honestly, Gats is sending me beats for my cypher. So like shout out Gats, honestly. Like so be back in the day clicking up with these people who yeah, go on to work with all Gats. these people. He's an old friend. He's a really good dude, an amazing producer. He's been doing big things since we were young. Yeah, and he's like still at it, like to this day. And that's yeah. so you're in, you're basically <laughs> clicking up with a bunch of people and y'all may not notice, but they like in twenty like I start rapping in 2012 and the TNT folk are fucking powerhouses and shit. I would call them powerhouses in the little corner I was involved in. How powerhouse they were, I don't fucking know. I was just there and I just knew them as people that were doing things. So this was my little perception. doesn't matter what the truth is. This is my memories. Um, And they're running it and they connected and they're doing things. And with all the people that were like involved, just knew everybody that was, it was just like weird to like, I mean, not weird in a bad way, but like, wow, look at these people. So they're literally, to me, one of the first names I even encountered when I got in. That was like an organized group of people doing shit. I was the first one I encountered in Montreal. So for me, it's just fucking fascinating. And then like Sky Beats is just there and he's such a powerful force of like, that guy's name came up a lot on this channel. Um, more than a lot oh, of yeah. other people, like to a point where like, he's, he really should be talked about more with the love that he is given to like the city. Oh, absolutely. And like, man, really big love to Sky. Cause like, he was like one of the only people that wanted to put a young me on like hip hop is my life. That's all him. The video included the beat, the recording. Um, and most of that project here, I'm actually going <laughs> to. This is kind of funny. If we're going to talk about throwbacks, we should very, very quickly. This isn't here. Never mind. Never mind. Don't even worry about it. Anyways, so my whole my whole first project that I actually did as Jada Ville, that's all Sky. Sky did all the fucking the, the the everything for it, man. And he's gone on to like, he, like you said, he's a force to be reckoned with, you know. And I've been like friends with him and actually working with him. He's trying to put me on since shit 2007 like you know so shout out to that dude i fucking love that guy he's one of the best yeah 
and I just think it's cool that like you're back there kind of like in the environment where these dudes are just starting to get all started and that's your like early inspiration for like what you what happened with it so how does it migrate though from like you're just kind of you know hanging out with the dudes and you're just making music on bad computers and stuff to like the point where you're like I I'm gonna go ahead and actually make some music with this shit uh, well, like I said, when I first got my laptop, uh, just finishing high school, that's when I was like, okay, now I have the means um, to actually try to put some recordings together. For the first couple of years, I mean, I'm even using the little built-in microphone on the top of the screen, you know what I mean? Um, and I'm using Fruity Loops to make shitty beats, and I'm using Cool Edit Pro to record. And uh, I just experimented with that a whole lot. I'd spend sleepless nights, you know? Just finishing high school, I didn't go straight into college or anything, so for a very long time i had a lot of time to just sit around smoke weed and fucking make music <clears throat> to the best of my abilities anyways uh Yo. but uh and i got to work with guys like sky and, and doom and shit like that and then doom was coming to my house a lot because he was an extremely talented rapper from the block and all that and we started putting together our first little, little tracks we would sit together we would write a couple of verses drink some beers whatever and um that turned into, I mean, when when Gats and Peter West shout out Peter West, yeah. uh, they put together Big their first beats and they started TNT Top Notch Tracks. Yeah, man, absolutely, absolutely love that dude. Um, so that's how that's how Top Notch Tracks started. Actually, it was a production company that was just T that was just Peter West and Stu Gats. Um, but then they decided, started making tracks together, and they decided, uh, fuck it, we're going to turn this into like an actual music group not exactly a label not exactly a production company not exactly a rap group but like a music group in general i guess <clears throat> and uh yeah so the original roster was those two Stu Gats, peter west then it was dumar brown chase dog myself and uh tech luciano shout out tech luciano came onto the crew like a year later um then uh my boy luis um lucho freeze shout out lucho freeze lou von uh ggp we had, a, we had a nice little collective for a little while. Yeah, that's kind of a big thing when you're like a young person. Well, I was not young. I was 25 when I started. So young and relative to the game. You come in, you don't know shit about fucking young shit. Young still. You don't know young shit still. about shit. Yeah. And you're like, yo, these guys look like they're doing things. I remember Dumar Brown's birthday contest is a big moment in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I organized that show. That was the first thing I ever did. For real? in terms of yeah well i was doing it as a birthday present to him kind of thing you know doom was like a big brother to me for a very long time before he quit music and got married and moved out to the boomies to you know be a father and a husband uh we spent a lot of time together so yeah, i miss that guy so basically what's also interesting is how you didn't let the the lack of proper gear get in the way of you pursuing the creation of songs i think that's super important um i've noticed a lot of people block themselves as fully grown adults with this like notion of i can't achieve xyz fucking quality so therefore i shan't uh do things and so i find it super nifty how like at that age we just don't give a fuck about any of that shit we're just more interested in like the process and we trust the process and we just figure whatever yeah. it is what it is we'll get and especially yeah. yeah and especially at that age i liked music that sounded imperfect that sounded like it was recorded badly 
you know, because it had more, it was more genuine. It was a bit more, you know, um, it was just, like I said, like, it just had more of an authentic feel to it. Like, it wasn't something that was edited down to, uh, you know, a commercial song in post, post, uh, post-production or whatever, you know what I mean? It's just something that just, uh, that was just something that happened right there in the moment, you know what I mean? Like we were saying before with that, that you listen to that and you really hear that authenticity. I really wanted my music to sound grimy to a degree. I would tell like, I would tell engineers not to edit my shit too, too much. You know what I mean? They'd be like, well, what if I did this and what if I did that? And I'd be like, nah, man, keep it raw, keep it raw, keep it raw, you know? Now it's different. I would like to make music that sounds a bit more, you know, a bit more professional. But uh, especially at that age, man, I just wanted music that sounded like, because I fell into, this is another thing that I was going to bring up earlier about my musical journey and all the shit. I fell into punk rock extremely hard and that's never, ever stopped. And that's very apparent in the music I make and uh, the clothes I wear, and the way I see the world and shit. Uh, so I've, I've been really influenced a lot by the punk rock I listen to in terms of the music that I make, in terms of the hip hop I make as well. Yeah, I relate to that actually kind of heavy. I wasn't necessarily into all the old super underground Grammy punk, but I got into like alt punk heavy in fucking high school and shit. And it's always been like a huge influence. But the one thing I always felt was cool about punk is like when they met sound engineers proper and then they met music producers proper, like whatever came next, just it just wasn't the same again. So that's something that always really stuck for me from my journey through punk is like you can you can see the moment in their discography when they get signed to a certain degree and how producers step into the equation. And I always thought that was nifty how drastically it fucks with the sound. Like a band like Anti Flag is a perfect fucking example of it. Right. And if you, if you, even if you look at like Bad Religion, for example, bro, like uh, they their their members have been the ones that have. For, for, produced their music and, and, and engineered their music and all that shit. I uh, can't remember his name, but the guy that started Epitaph was one of the original members of, of Bad Religion. And it was Epitaph that put on bands like No Effects that started groups like Fat Record, put on bands like Anthony Flag. There's a whole, like, you know, uh, before this. But when punk rock, I mean, like, the, what I was trying to get at, really what I'm trying to get at is the DIY um, yeah. attitude of punk rock and the... Uh, the beauty and the imperfection in punk rock uh, that that I've always enjoyed in music, you know what I mean? Just like you said, I mean, like, when you listen to their, when bands earlier music before they had, like, listen, this isn't a Bad Religion's first album, uh, How Could Hell Be Any Worse? It sounds terrible. Um, but a few years later, once they put some effort into their promote, into their production properly, uh, you, you listen to Software, and it's only a few, like, maybe eight years later, that it sounds so much clearer, you know. Uh, same with No Effects, I guess. You listen to No Effects as early as music, and it's terrible. Much later, they actually were being produced by good punk rock producers. Or you can compare like Smash, yeah, but that's Spring to like Americana. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Fucking Nirvana, man. Listen to Nirvana's first album. That shit is ridiculous, and then you, you wouldn't recognize it. You know what I mean? If you ever listen to Bleach. It is intense. And then you listen to In Utero and, well, I mean, like the singles that they're known for. Yeah, they're kind of tame. Yeah. Um, so you have this kind of whole spirit and attitude coming into it, which honestly goes to validate that your like, cuts from back in the day probably still have a market because 17-year-olds are still going to be 17-year-olds. People are... 
still loving that shit to this day is what I understand about the internet, bro. Yeah, yeah. That's the Instagram TikTok market. If there ever was it, it just manifested into that shit. But like <clears throat> Yeah, true. Um with that, so you get into this early thing and you're kind of surrounded by the TNT people and you get when do you like actually like get involved in that and start like do you move into performing a lot? Cuz I know you had a reputation when I started and people really fucked with you for like at that point and like you were known as like this political intense rapper that spit hard truths and shit and blah blah blah. That's how I heard about you back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was true of me. I guess it still is. <laughs> uh, so how did you, like, do you remember, like, your first show opportunity and when it, like, how yeah. that came to be? Yeah. So my first show, um, I was going to say it was uh, Stavros Adamopoulos, uh, who at the time went as the one. That guy's uh, still goes, making moves Yeah, now. so he goes by, yeah, 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 no, uh, he goes by Rico Blanco right now, so shout out Rico Blanco, uh, shout out Stavros, I fucking love that dude. Um, he was putting together a show um, where he was tasked with... Uh, hiring acts for the show and he had heard um not just hip-hop is my life but like my earlier stuff too that was like much more politically geared uh that i was doing and uh he was like yeah yeah come come do the show i'd never ever performed before so uh, i was actually at mika lounge at the bottom of crescent i don't know if you've ever been to the mika lounge i know of it i don't really remember if i went it was a little basement spot uh underneath the massage parlor <laughs> so uh wasn't a very glamorous spot anyway um so yeah i uh must have been march 2012 at that point i mean like i'd been to a lot of shows um but i had never actually performed properly uh my own set at that point so i got up i think i did three tracks i think i did uh hip-hop is my life and i know we both did a song called little jimmy but yeah i did my song called little jimmy at the time and uh one other track i don't even remember but yeah and that one show sparked a whole bunch of like, oh, we'll get you on this show, we'll get you on that show kind of thing. Uh, interesting side note, that same year, actually just a few months later, uh, Stavros again, along with his group at the time, PXC, uh, Park Extension Connection. So that would be uh, with, with uh, Soldiers and Seven Leaf, shout out Soldiers and Seven Leaf. Uh, they were doing a show in New York, two shows in fact, in New York with Block McLeod. Um, and they asked me to come along as like an affiliated act kind of thing. You know, we weren't getting paid for it, but it would just be a cool weekend to spend in New York doing a couple of shows in Brooklyn and Staten Island with guys who've done songs with like Jedi Mind Tricks and people I grew up listening to. So I was like, fuck yeah, let's do that, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's dope, that's dope. I remember hearing <laughs> yeah, that was that from him. He was, uh, he told us a bit about that. So it's cool. Like when you hear somebody else like go about it, what happened in New York? Tell us a bit about going down to New York as a young person that just started rapping. Oh, it was super chill. I mean, like, uh, I, I'd fucking, I barely ever left the house. You know what I mean? At that point in my life. Um, so going straight to New York with a bunch of friends are kind of on a whim, like, uh, it's fucking cool, man. You actually like we stayed in Park Slope in, in Brooklyn, South Brooklyn. We got to see a lot of Brooklyn though. Um and our first show no, sorry, the second show, the second night was in like Coney Island, kinda like right next to Coney Island, uh in like South South Brooklyn. <clears throat> and uh that was fucking cool, man. Like, I don't know. 
I, I don't have very many like very vivid uh, memories from that because I'm a very large cannabis smoker. But uh, um, yeah, man, that was wild. That was just super fun. We were four dudes in like a tiny little room that we rented in South Brooklyn and fucking two of us sleeping on the floor and shit. You know, it was really chill, though. It was really chill. Fucking the first night, our, our first night there, where I was in Staten Island, and um, what's his name? Y'all would probably know Shaheem from, like, the early days of Wu-Tang. There was a little kid that came on. You know what I'm talking about? There's, like, the, the footage with Biggie and Tupac, and then there's a little kid that gets up, and he goes, Times are getting hard. What is Bond? I swear to God. That's dope. Yeah, so he shows up, but he's a grown-ass man at this point, obviously. Anyway, yeah, it was just, it's like a, I don't know, it was fucking, it was it was really cool. It was really cool. I'm, I mean, I'm, it's always dope to be able to be in a position where you can run into somebody you think's fucking cool. Like, I met the Habs once, and it was really exciting. It wasn't like, like I met them in a cool, cool way. But it was, like, cool, because you met them, and they signed some fucking card in my face and shit. And then I did not take good care of mm. this. And I was like, that was stupid of me. Um, <laughs> but, um, so you basically... Did you get to meet a lot of... Ra- did you ever get to meet a lot of rappers and shit? Not really. Um, I didn't... Like any... Like, no? I mean, in, like, famous people, over time, I met Locksmith once. And he's extremely fucking tall. Um, other than that... That's cool. Uh, I guess I got to do an interview with K. Reno, which was kind of dope, if you know who K. Reno is. Um, but otherwise, it's like... Nah, I've had some interactions with people on social media because of like the review thing. That's cool. So like Dead Prez watched me yeah, yeah, talking yeah. about them, which was like, Are you fucking kidding me? Stick watched oh, my cool. three hour review. <laughs> like but like Yeah, I yeah. People, that's really good. I didn't go to a lot of shows and shit, so I didn't really even like when I got into the game, okay. my biggest mistake was not necessarily getting so involved in the live community because I had a job and I valued going to work more than I valued going mm. to parties. So I didn't really integrate into that whole yeah, universe that for a really long time. And it wasn't until like right before COVID, but I'm like, um, I'm, uh, Urban Logics was giving me like this speech about how Fat Joe would go to everybody's show and even if he hated their music, but then when Fat Joe would throw a show, the entire world would come because Fat Joe was just known to be that guy and yeah. he would bring friends and shit. And I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. I fucked up this whole Internet game. Internet working. So I started going to shows and then COVID yeah, came well, and it is what it is. Um, but like... I mean, I remember catching you at a few shows. I mean, between 2012... Oh, I would go to anything they offered me to perform at. You're saying I could perform on there. Yeah. It's like, but if I'm not performing, yeah, yeah. I was in this really like... Well, if I'm not performing, why am I going to this shit? I think like Clarity is one of the yeah. only people I bothered to go at at that time if I wasn't at the set. For <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember seeing the always fl- been a great performer. Like I saw the flyer for the last Murder Face show that ever happened, and I caught. I just remember choosing not to go on some lazy shit. Like there's never mm. good reasons. And then now all this time later, I'm like, you know, I probably should have gone to that shit. Met Cool Man Logan yeah. back then, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, uh, man, that was another thing was uh, Gats was putting me on to local music. Like, like that's how I first heard about CL. Like, going back to what we were saying before, I mean, like, me falling in love with doing shows and performing and stuff. You know how many times you go to a show and you watch dudes rap over their own vocals, stare at the floor, walk back and forth, 
you know, you can smell the social anxiety off of them. You can smell how shy they are. You can see how shy they are. It's like extremely obvious. And it's not entertaining. You know what I mean? It's really, it's self-indulging and it's, it's masturbatory in a sense. You know what I mean? So, oh my God, like, just like you said, I want to be that person. You know what I mean? I think we all started rapping over our own vocals and stuff like I that. But I mean, that that shit. But again, that was no? also because from I your was, first first show, even my first show is on YouTube. So that, that performance is there, June second, twenty twelve. But the thing is, and that, it was all instrument. Uh, yeah, but keep in mind, I'm fully employed. Respect, though. But I'm fully employed at this time. I've been gainfully employed full time plus for like years at this point, right? Which is matters. Um, I'm able to like buy beats, I guess, shitty cheap thirty dollar beats. Stills. I was like at this point where like you know, it wasn't. I feel like it's not the same in your mid twenties when like half the other people are like starting at like eighteen and shit. Like it's it's a weird comparison to make, but nah, I never did the back vocals. I never did it one time. Respect, respect. I mean, like I feel like that's just a safety. I feel like it's just a safety net for a lot of people. You know what I mean? Um, <coughs> but at a certain point, it doesn't sound good. It doesn't look good, and it's fucking boring to watch. And like. I'm with you. I'm when you not. think about it, man, all these shows that all these shows that we do, you know what I mean, and these little showcases that we've been like repeatedly doing that don't make very much money. Even when they do make the artist money or make the house money or make the uh, the organizer money, it's not always much. We're talking a couple hundred bucks each, maybe. Why are we doing this? You know what I mean? It's got to be fun. You got to be doing it for the community. You got to be doing it because it's it's fun and you're enjoying it and your fans are enjoying it and they'll pay to see it again. They're paying money, you know what I mean? We pay 10, 15 bucks to get into these shows and it sucks to pay 10, 15 dollars for six hours to stand around watching guys basically masturbate on stage, you know? Bro, I mean, I know what you're talking about, so I don't want to pretend like it doesn't exist. All I can that's, tell you- Well, that's why I just, I want it to be a much, I want it to be ahead of that. Bro, I, didn't, I, I just, never wanted to be those two things. I just want to <laughs> say, I went to two all girl shows uh, prior to COVID. It was the only two shows I went to where that never happened one time. They were all ready to go every fucking word. And I was fucking... I was, yeah, nice. I'd never seen that nice. before. But it was the only two times nice. I ever saw it was two all-lady MC fucking shows in Montreal. Just throwing it out there for the sake of throwing it out there. But yeah, no. I know what you mean. I remember I impressed Tech Luciano because I didn't have hype men on stage with me. That was what he was like. You were by yourself. I respect that. Yeah. Yeah, I've never had a hype man either, so it gets it's exhausting on the lungs. Especially you're a fast rapper too, in a lot of tracks, and uh, it takes a lot of breath control, especially as a pot smoker. <coughs> oh no! To like not fuck up ever. I I learned, like I said, it's a virtue of practice. I used to put a lot of time into that shit. Now I'm like I don't want to. I don't know how to memorize my songs anymore. It's more where I'm at. And that's not a metro of weed, it's a virtue of volume. Yo, when you have seven songs, it is fucking easy to remember seven songs. When you have over a hundred, it's like, mm. bro, I have to go remember the ones I gotta do live, not the ones, and then there's the ones you just, anyway, it gets messier as you get longer into it. But like, I just practiced the shit out of every fucking performance, man. Mm -hmm. I used to run my sets yeah. like, yo, for hip hop karaoke too, all this shit I would do, it would be like, hours like i remember i did 15 hours for rap god it just for laughs 15 hours on rap god 
okay like that's the level of practice i used to like put in for any performance so that i wouldn't i did fuck up here and there if i drank or i got too cocky here and there like i would drop a four bar or whatever but mostly i was able to get through it without backtracks and just remembering it mm-hmm. that's good man respect kids like uh like you said it's it's not easy and that's something that you end up getting revered for or at least you you, you know commended for anyways that uh you're able to get up there and no hey man no backtracks no no like i said safety net you know what i mean it's just you your beat and you have to execute it properly i feel like if you're going to be a serious musician you have to be able to do that you have to make your music sound good on the spot otherwise like you know what I mean? They, you can listen, like, you can listen to bands. Or, there's one. Hey. There's an exception to that rule, and that is Waka Flocka Flame. I would pay, <laughs> but I would pay money to go see Waka Flocka not rap at me. I don't know, but like you know, he's just gonna be lit on stage, being the world's most hype up the crowd, fucking fun guy. Where like, do you really need Waka to spit those bars, or do you just want to party with Waka at the end of the day? What I mean is if. So obviously there's different genres, uh, not genres, but I guess different calibers or different styles of musicians, right? You know what I mean? You have your meeker musicians, you have your wilder musicians, you have your in-betweens, et cetera, right? Walk is obviously one of those people that sits in a category of like a very hype uh, live act. You don't listen to Waka Flocka's music for its content for the most part. You know what I mean? Nah, You're listening to it energy. because it's fucking hype. Yeah, exactly. Give you that. So that's, that's, you know what I mean? But if you're going to be a lyricist and you want to be like a rapper, musician, someone who makes dope fucking music, like you have to be able to rap just you and your beat and make it fucking dope. Like even Flocka, if you just took one of his instrumentals and you got him with a microphone with no, you know. Yeah, he'd hold no, it down. No, no, don't even get me wrong. That guy can he, fucking rap. Of his course. Music. It would still be hype because he knows what he's doing. He's, he's, a, he's a master of his Stop, you know what I mean? Like his delivery is yeah. top notch. So I don't want to take away that from that. That became it. important to me. That's that's what happened to me was that became more, much more important than having tracks that sounded good or having videos or having views on YouTube or, or, or listens on SoundCloud and shit like that. I, I I didn't care about that. What I cared about was that in the moment I can come with it and I could shut shows down. And that's what I focused on for so many years. And unfortunately, I didn't make much music. Well, back then I was making more music. Back in like 14, 15, I was still writing a lot of tracks and trying to make new songs and stuff like that. Even up to a few years ago, I still like, if you come and see my shows, that's where you're going to hear my new music. I'll have people ask me like, yo, dude, you know that song, blah, blah, blah. Where can I find that? I'm like, I've never even recorded that song, bro. You know what I mean? Or I don't have a proper recording of it at least. But it's like a seven-year-old track that I wrote in 2014 and I've been performing it since like those roddy squad days you know what i mean Fuck, uh, roddy squad know, but, oh my gosh yeah so that's a whole other chapter of data that we haven't touched yet no i haven't but what's cool is i know what those that means like i saw you were on the roddy squad cypher when i did look you up and i'm like fair enough and then i just sat there for like 10 minutes remembering those guys and i don't even know what they're up to these days. isn't they go to the brotherhood or something they flipped it up into something else or Really well, those those were dudes from Laval that that uh, two of them were tight. And anyway, they all kind of knew each other, and uh, they started their group. And they heard me. We did a couple shows together, and TNT was kind of like ending around that time. All those dudes were hitting their thirties and kind of moving on to different things in their lives, or otherwise doing bigger things with their music, like like Gats, for example. Um, anyway, TNT kind of fell apart. 
after Doom and me and we all kind of went different ways or whatever. It was no hate or anything. There was zero animosity. It's still like I fucking love those guys like brothers still. I mean, but anyways, that was around that time. Roddy Squad was like, hey, man, come and fucking work with us. We'll give you free beats, free recording time. We'll do shows. We'll do all this. We, they just wanted me to be part of their roster. So I said, fuck it. Why not? So that led to like another 18 months or something, almost two years of doing a lot of shows with those guys. Yeah, I remember that era because that was when I was like the end of my performing run <clears throat> when I decided I was going to go to work. I don't know how else to put it, but I thought the internet was a better move. Let's just say what you said about the showcases. I had similar feelings about it in 2016, and I'm like, I don't know that I want to. You know what really was? They changed it from 15 minutes to 10 minutes. It became normal to do 10-minute sets, and I couldn't do shit with 10 minutes. I was like, nobody's coming to my fucking anything for 10 minutes. But they were coming for 15, so somewhere it just changed, and I don't know when it changed. I just know that one day... I realized nobody depends. was doing 15 minute sets anymore and that was depends whose show i'm saying it depends who's your organizer is and shit i couldn't find anything with 15 <laughs> minute sets by like 2016. not that i but at that point i'm a little jaded when, too but like i just didn't well, since, see it since 2017 have you heard of uh common ground something else it's another project i've been no. part of so as so common ground is a showcase oh. with what? As of like 2016, at the end of the year, I start behind that suit and I spend about four years being an internet hermit, learning all this shit that leads me to this moment. So for yeah, me, okay. like Patch, okay. uh, fucking uh, hip hop karaoke is basically about the only thing that got me out of the house. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Well, um, I mean, I'm uh, I'm a host of. I mean, we haven't done a showcase since uh, 2019 there because of COVID and all that, but uh. Common Ground is a showcase of which I'm a host. Um, the first one of which was in early 2017. It was uh, organized and still is organized by Christina. Uh, Christina Elena on Facebook. Shout out Christina. Um, she's just a big avid hip hop fan um, and uh, university student who started putting together these shows. And the first of which she just kind of slapped together. She didn't really know anyone. He had DJ Shirtless of, uh, of K6A as a DJ and they didn't really have um they didn't really have a host or anything but uh anyways aspect mendoza was there was there um there was a bunch of just like really dope acts just like random little dope acts lucho freeze who was part of tnt at the time uh was on and he invited me so i got to do my own thing and whatever i got a really good response <laughs> as as per usual um but since then i've been hosting that as well I've been helping to organize and book and do little things where I can. Um, so anyways, in the small little bit of experience that I have of, of organizing shows and, and putting MCs on to shit, I like to give them more time. Not too much. You know, you don't want to give your single acts uh, half an hour every single time. But it's like we even had a we had one where we had Low Pesci with Borden and uh, Nomadic Massive at our show and fucking... It's not like we gave them 10 minutes, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I think not... Nomadic Massive, I think we both gave those guys a half an hour each because they have a lot of music, plus there's more than one person on stage and whatever, but your average solo act should have at least 15 minutes of solid material. Talk... 20 minutes of the same, right? And, and the thing is, is like, at a certain point, you're now years in the game, and you're like, bro, I mean, I, I was able to do a solid 30, 
because like yo if we fucking ended up for sure but doing... think about it as a spectator you don't want to see like mm. let's say you're not really well, I mean, into well, this act but what i'm you saying you gotta wait half an hour for the next act yeah depending on the show it's fair uh but i'm saying if you can do a solid 30 you're not going back to 10 minutes that's more like you're not doing 10 minutes again. oh no that's no, kind of no. like i mean if someone I'm invited like, me for a 10 minute like, act i don't now, even like, like i don't even know like no I, I just I couldn't even convey the multiple styles I would rather show you if I only have one song, you know, that kind of shit. So it's like, I don't know. But it's more I can't sell those tickets, so I'm not going to try. Like, nobody's coming to watch exactly. me rap for 10 minutes. Like, I don't even think I could get somebody Nobody's to gonna cancel all of their plans on Friday night to go and watch their buddy rap for 10 minutes. Yeah. That's exactly it. So I'm like... If we could have... If we can have rappers, like let's say at a, at a showcase, rather than have 10 acts with 15 minutes each or 10 minutes each and but, hoping that 10 people will bring 10 people and then you have 100 people at your show. If you book three acts that have a following in the city and they have interconnected followings as well, once we like, if we really build on this community that we're trying to build, um, then you get your three solid acts, you give them 25 minutes each with like a 10 minute interval in between. Yeah. You have Amazing. a greatly organized show that will be fun, entertaining and fun for the most part, you know, mm. you know what I mean? More than, more than anything, but just to not go back, just self-serving. Just to go back to that 25, 30 minute set point, I would just assume you're not booking me for 30 minutes without knowing what the fuck I sound like. And since I have everything I have out, I would assume you're Googling me if you're offering me 30 minutes and I make sense for the audience. Right, and at that point, it's like, I mean, if you don't think I'm worth bringing, I'm not gonna go to your show. Like, it's no offense to them, but like, I have, <clears throat> I mean, I have a lot of video <laughs> evidence of me performing, so it's like, I'm not worried, bro. Like, I got the shit to back up the claims, so it's like, cool. Sound wise, that's a promoter's job to fucking pick acts that make sense together, so that the crowd fucking is interested in all the acts. That's completely on the promoter yeah. to like do a little market research yeah. and book stuff so yeah, like, how many times do you go to a show where fans are just there for their they're not fans they're friends of the artist they're just there to watch their friend perform and then after friend their friend performs they fuck off i stopped by the last time but by the time the last person's on stage it's it it's, got to a point honestly where i stopped inviting people to shows if i really didn't like who I, well, not like but if i didn't really think that the people around me on this set were going to be appealing to anybody that fucked with me i'm like what am i doing because yeah. i actually yeah. went through the experience of I, I got 10 people to show up to this fucking show and a fight breaks out and shit and they went back to day job land and they told everybody it was scary and it took me over a year to get a single person to be willing to trust coming to a performance and i'm like wow <laughs> you try and then i try to explain that to promoters and shit bro and they'd be like bro you just can't sell tickets and i'm like yeah you're right i can't sell tickets i'm sorry yeah. <laughs> not yeah. not when the show not after the fight you guys put me in a bad position here <laughs> like that was a reality that really happened to me dude it really <laughs> fucked, me, fucked shit up for a long time and i'm like I don't know anybody else. I go to work. I've been at the same company for 11 straight fucking years. Trust me, my social circle <laughs> is who I meet at shows and fucking work. And like, that's it. That's my like influx. Or maybe I get to meet a person at a park. So it's like, okay, guys, I'm too old to be a university student that can hustle tickets and shit. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. I lost a lot of interest when I, well, cause for a while it was cool and people just kept inviting me to shit. And then people just stopped inviting me to shit. Maybe, but I was a dickhead. Fair enough, everyone. 
fair enough <laughs> to the world that might yeah but all rappers can be dicks at some point or isn't it is it not in our like our nature to kind of be egotistical and you know arrogant in a sense yeah you i pissed I mean? off some stupid people i would like to, oh dude i took i can't tell you how many montreal rappers hate me and that's okay you know what i mean <laughs> it is what it is um yeah. These things happen. It's not something I take seriously either. It's just like, okay. I mean, I didn't take it necessarily seriously per se, but I can absolutely tell you, fuck my reputation with a lot of people in a lot of circles. And then I realized that the English, <laughs> yeah. the English yeah. market's pretty small. And now yeah. I'm all fucking love people. I pretty much yeah. like, there's very few people I dislike at this point in any real meaningful way. It's basically love everybody because we're all we got like that fucking flip star yeah. song says <laughs> um so basically you're running yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of the same thing though at that certain points you know what i mean i think we all are like <clears throat> yeah so, then i turn 30. yeah do some dumb arrogant shit and ruin uh burn bridges with certain people and all that whatever these things do happen but yeah like how'd you get into we throwing shows because you said you did the show for the Dumar Brown's birthday party thing, I think, at some point. How did you decide to, like, get into throwing your own events? Because, like, all things considered, however much people want to might think about you, I look at life via, like, when you're doing these interviews, what are people, like, done? So there's the tier of I released music. Fine, cool. But then it's like, what else did you do? Right? Like, often yeah. the music part's one of the most boring parts of the interview. <laughs> And it's all the other shit that make it kind of litty. So it's like the fact that you're actually like a concert promoter and doing this other shit is, is kind of interesting. I've dabbled. To me. Yeah. Yeah, I've dabbled. I mean, like, one thing that, well, look, what I still do like to do for Common Ground is hosting. Because I feel like uh, one thing I've learned about myself over the years in, in music and working in kitchens is that I have a personality once I start to feel comfortable and in a certain setting. Um, once I started feeling comfortable in the kitchen, it's like I'm unfuckwithable. You know what I mean? I, I thrive in a kitchen environment. And then eventually the same became true uh, for, for the hip-hop world. You know what I mean? If I'm at a show, I'm on stage, I'm really in my element. I feel comfortable. Now, I learned how to be entertaining outside of just rapping your songs. You have to you have to engage your audience. you got to have fun with it. Um, so I learned that hosting is like a way to get into just having fun with it, engaging the crowd. Um <clears throat> So basically, uh, yeah, yeah, like that's what, something I've always just kind of wanted to do, and I've uh, I've attempted uh, a couple of times, and I've been successful a handful of times <laughs> with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, from the Doom show, which was I guess was the first time I ever organized or hosted anything up until the the last few shows I did, you know, just pre-COVID. Yeah, that's it's fun to do. It's fun to do. Uh, it's more than just rapping. It's also about being a personality, it's being someone that can bring us together and engage the crowd and not just be like, okay, next up, here's this person. And then, you know what I mean? Yeah, I never like those. You're a host that's going to. You got to be like the host that's like. Yeah. Well, I always look at it like if you watch the TV show hosts, they totally script jokes and shit for that. Like when you're doing like an award show or anything like, yo, these people come in and they like, they got bits. They're like, fuck sure. all of y'all. I'm more interesting than whoever the fuck I'm bringing in. <laughs> so the one time I hosted a show, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to outperform all the rappers as a host. <clears throat> I don't know if I achieved that goal. Yeah. That was my goal. <laughs> 
So I feel it. I feel that. Well, I mean, for what it's worth, uh, you've always been an artist that stuck out. You know what I mean? One thing I don't like is like uh, the, the the monotony of the style of music that we hear um, from local rappers that are just trying to copy what is popular kind of thing. Now, like I'm a lot less intense than I used to be about this subject. I mean, when I was younger, I was very, I was very much a purist about this shit. You know what I mean? I used to be like, fuck auto-tune and all that. And it's still something I won't fuck with personally. Um, but it's, you know what I mean? It, it is what it is, guy. I mean, I like the, the style of music. It's been a style of music for over a decade. Anyways. It's a tool. Um, but <clears throat> it's when, a I would tool. Go to local, when we would go to local shows and we see guys just trying to be future, just trying to be Migos, just trying to be whatever, even just trying to be Kendrick Cole, Drake, what have you. I get frustrated with that personally. I like I want to see people who are going to do something different. HSR has always been an artist that has come up on stage and been like, okay, here's like here's something that's going to be a little bit out of the box. You know what I mean? I've always appreciated that about you. That shit didn't the have suit. Uh, that was hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, the suit's real though. I don't know how you'd get up on stage in a full fucking suit. Oh, straight up. For I'll break minutes. it down one time. It was all about girls. I'm taking off my shirt and shit, bro. You're nah, there, dude. Full three piece. I'm like fucking... overweight, right? <laughs> oh, you're, I'm an overweight dude, not necessarily feeling the best about my body at this time and shit, right? So I have this deduction at a certain point. If I walk in wearing a suit, because I realized showing up uh, well dressed to a date helped increase the likelihood of smashing happening, and I like that. I liked it when girls wanted, you know, I liked it a lot, you know, I mean, I'm not saying I don't like it now, but it motivated it's me. Nice to feel but like back at like that age, shit, that's half the reason I rapped. Like, but honestly, <laughs> yeah, no, everything was back then. Like I got to get powerful and blah, 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 because ultimately uh, on vanity reasons, I can then smash with whatever frequency I can <laughs> smash with. Um, so I thought to myself. Right. Everybody looks like a hobo in a lot of ways. Sometimes, not every show, but like you go to the, the 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 like fucking club and everybody dresses the same, everybody acts the same, and whatever. And I'm like, but girls always say guys look the best in a suit, like cross the board. Oh, you clean up well. They go out of their way to compliment you when you bust out the suit. I said that's the move. That's gonna be the most like yeah. valuable way to approach this situation uh, in that regard. Yeah. And then it turned out that and how many how many how many acts do you see get up dressed formally, in a sense? Not very know. often. I know I'm not the only <laughs> one. I know there are people who have done this, but like um, I would say in, in Montreal's English hip hop scene, I'm the suited motherfucker, and everybody knows it. <laughs> well, those who have ever seen it, but like. Um, yeah, I know. It was really because I, I did that. And then I realized that drunk people remember you. Like, drunk people remember the motherfucker who got up on stage and rapped in a suit. Yeah. And I'm like, this That's is... Game suit, man. But then, like, it would be like, I'd go to shows. It got to a point where people would, like, come up to me and be like, I remember you rapping at that shit. And I'd be like, I don't remember you because I was drunk. And they'd be like, really offended and shit. And I learned really, you got to lie sometimes. Sometimes lie is lessons I learned in life. <laughs> sometimes lie yeah i guess well, i mean it's hard it's hard to remember people though you think they're meeting a lot of people in a night and, like they have a hard time remembering you bro you're meeting all these people these other artists their friends their fans and if you're doing shows regularly like every other weekend 
<laughs> you're meeting a lot of new people all the fucking time, and you're almost always drinking. If you're nah, like stop me. that. That's the thing. I had to stop drinking. At a certain point, I realized yeah, right. like drinking is bad for my life, and um, why? Well, oh, yeah. So at first, I drank because I thought I, mean, I had to. Like you get this notion of oh, I'm gonna suck, so I would get drunk, and it was almost the only time I would drink was when I rapped. Honestly, I didn't really drink unless I was rapping, because for some reason I thought it made me a better performer on some nerve shit. Yeah. And then I remember doing it sober on some circumstance shit, and I'm like, oh, I'm fucking good sober, like no, yeah, weed, yeah, no nothing. Sure. I'm like, fuck that. And then it was just, I mean, I'm weeded pretty much every time since. But like alcohol, I don't think I've actually performed. Yo, what's up, Jumping Joe? I don't think I've actually performed my alcohol in years. Like, I don't think I would. That would fuck me up. You, you're you going to catch me at whatever show I do next. I'm going to be maybe like 84 joints in, but I don't think I'll have a drop of alcohol. Okay. And then I'll I don't know. Like, I like to drink at shows because it's getting getting stoned and then getting up on stage. But I, I remember well, everything, well, right? That's the only thing. So for me, I can remember the whole night then. I'm not going to forget things. That's how I can do it. I mean, I smoke and I remember to interview shit so I'm not as proof of it but like that's it so if I drink I forget everything if I that's why I forgot where I was going with it if I drink I forget everything and if I smoke I'm gonna remember people that I talk to and the conversations I have with I might not remember faces at all but I'll remember the conversations I have with people and that'll be very valuable to me mm. as like a networking tool and I, I feel like one of the things I have always disliked about the way people treat performances is that it's not like a party to me. Like it's always felt like a job. Like, man, it's like I've got to go out and I got work the next day, blah, blah. So I've always treated it like it's a fucking job. And it's like, it's not a party. Like we're putting on a show for an audience that's like we're selling a service to people and shit. So it's like, I don't know, maybe like that vibe. I feel differently, um, personally. But I mean, I, I, I want to get up and I want to go and have a party. You know what I mean? I want to go up there and have fun because I want it to be a fun performance. I'm, like I said, like I didn't do this to monetize anything. I didn't do this with any kind of intent to gain anything from it. It was just something. So I don't. I, was just I don't wanting. mean to not have fun, but when people take it too far with the party, it stops being like well, a show. Yeah, but that's just true in general, right? Like, I come from a whole background of drinkers and substance abuse and whatever the case, and that's like that's true outside or inside of music, neither here or there. And I'm not but saying yeah, alcohol is inherently focus, a problem. It's the attitude of the party. Oh, but I, when you do focus, when you focus and make too much of your, when you put too much emphasis on the partying, and less on the the showmanship of it, I guess you're right that that it, it becomes negative and it reflects negatively on you, on your product, on your, uh, you know, on nah, your, on your. Let me put it like this: seal or whatever. The scene. <clears throat> the scene has a reputation like like i find a lot of the conversation is like we talk like okay so let's say tnt is a team that's the habs and you're a player on the habs and then my behind us who's the whatever whatever team and this is how we've always analyzed it and we've always thought about the reputational impact of the teams and how they relate to each other but nobody ever talked about the nhl's reputation so when you ask people mm. and that's montreal hip-hop when you're not saying it in french montreal that's a different thing Montreal hip hop, its reputation, bro, it's not in a good place, man. You talk to average folk, as in like people disconnected from the scene, <laughs> and you go, Would you go to a show? Yeah, you get a mild curiosity, but more often than not, you get a fuck no or something with an extreme, like, Are you kidding me? attached to it because of the attitudes that a lot of people have kind of displayed with how serious it gets taken. Now, this is not 
Holden's opinion. This is what I've actually encountered in real life trying to push the idea on people to get market research so I could have conversations like this. But like, I'm talking like young people, random employee shits, just yo, casual, whatever. Man, people don't think we're serious, so they don't treat us serious. You know what I mean? Like that's the perception I have when people think of Montreal hip hop as a collective unit of shits. Mad not good for people trying to make careers out of it. Mm. That's just like my I guess. So it's like I hear the perception and desire to like have fun and I don't want to give up fun, but there's <clears throat> got to be a balance between fun and we're doing a job. Cuz like I don't know, I've never really seen it as a job, I guess is what I'm trying to say cuz like I don't think I've most had people my job. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't think my most... escape with music. My music has always been my escape. But that's me, dude. Like you know what I mean? It's not just I'm you. saying like for, for it is, me, it's it always just most an escape. It's that I've, it's like a lot of not it's most. Fun, it's a lot of people I've talked to. But like I'm I'm obviously being pointed in this. I'm clearly like my my intention of bringing this up is what I think needs to happen next, more so as like life reopens and how people should treat some shit if they want to make money. Like sh- sh- these two things happen. Yes, of course, certain artists and certain yeah, of course things certain things should be taken more seriously, but <clears throat> I don't know. At the same time, artists should maybe stop taking themselves so seriously, have a little bit more fun. Like you know what I mean? Like I don't know. That's what I would like to see more. I don't mean more fun in that you have to be necessarily irresponsible or or uh, you okay, know what I mean me, fucking berated or let anything. me like reframe huh? it. So the show starts at this time. Show up fifteen minutes early. Treat it professionally. Go do whatever you want to do while you're there. I don't give a fuck. But be present. Be part of the crowd. Don't stand outside smoking. Like I'm sorry, but the way people treat it, I don't know. Like there's got to be a different kind of behavior that's got to happen amongst the artists to encourage people to want to come. Because if none of us can get footage of fucking people in the show performing, it looks whack. And then when you're putting that online, that's what people see. And I mean, I'm not saying don't have, I'm saying take, I agree with you, take yourself less seriously, but in doing that, treat the scene more seriously. Yeah, I agree. So like, I don't want to come off like whatever, Yo, bro, I'm gonna go turn up on my next performance and make it the funnest shit I can fucking do. But I'm also going to put in a whole bunch of time. Well, next real on stage performance. I don't care if it's like a park or something, but like, Yo, I've been training for this for a year and a half. Like, I haven't been off season, right? Like, for me, so it's like, to me, I take it really seriously as like a performer, as like, a, yo, I want you to pay me to come do this, right? Like, as an artist, I don't give a fuck about music sales and shit. I don't even, dude, I'm making the weirdest shit musically right now. I don't even take myself seriously in that regard. But I also want, like, people to want to put up $50 to a Montreal hip hop show one day so that somebody can get fucking paid. And if everybody's taking it too casual, nobody will ever get to that point. So there has to be some degree of people that want to take it serious to get other people to casually want to come to the fun random shit. You know, like there has to be this middle class tier of shit that isn't like mad successful, but still treats it like they are. And if that never exists, I don't see how a real ecosystem can thrive because no money's ever going to come in. And then everybody's relying on jobs and shit and not able to focus as much on art. That's just my like, I mean, you you may not want to pursue it like that, but me and most of the, a lot of people I know do 
right? Like I know so many people that yeah, really do want to pursue it like that. Like I go to work and shit to finance my dreams so that it can finance itself one day. Like I have to go to work. It's not like I want to, you know, like it's just a means to get to where I, well, I kind of love what I do, so I don't hate it. Don't want to make that clear as I say this in case the boss people watch. But like, yo, it's a means to an end, and they know it. <laughs> I just did a corporate presentation about flexing on all my accomplishments. They know what the fuck I'm doing. But like, that's my only fear with it is I find like a lot of the attitude is like, you're, but for you to do it, like, man, it's like, I feel like you have other passions that you're pursuing though. And things you know like there's are things in your life that you you like really do have like you're a chef right that's not in my head I feel yeah like. and that's kind of always been the way that i like that's been my living in life you know what i mean that's been my uh what's the word i'm looking for my livelihood you know what i mean that's like a artsy <clears throat> it's still like an artistic <throat> thing right it's still a career yeah it's creative uh, it's creative but it's also kind of it, a is, craft. it is it is an art form in a sense that's what i was going to say but it's more of a craft um, I mean, like, if you ever read the book, if anybody's ever read the book, uh, Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain, he actually talks about that a lot, um, that there are the artists in the kitchen world, uh, people that want to change the way we see food and stuff like that, and that's cool, but your, your realist chefs, your dopest chefs, your dopest cooks or whatever, yeah, they're people that can operate as cooks. They're, they're, they're craftsmen. Okay. We all start very humbly just like in any craft, you know, we all start very humbly, just kind of fumbling around with whatever. There's a lot of, there's the instruction, but then there's the trial and error. <clears throat> and then there's the, uh, you know, you, you can decide which, which direction you want to bring your craft or whatever the case, just like if you want to be a line cook your entire life, you want to be a head chef at some kind of, you know what I mean? Five star uh, kind of institution restaurant or whatever. If you want to work, you know what I mean? At a fast food joint flipping, you know, like a bel pro or something like that, or you know what I mean. Um, ultimately, though, it's a craft. It's something that you have to practice over and over. As especially as a line cook, it's repetition. You have to take somebody else's creation, which is you know nobody starts off as a chef. Everybody has to start off. You know what I mean. You have to learn how to do execution and not just make things that look pretty. You know what I mean. Bro, it sounds exactly it. like execution. But it sounds exactly like I, learning to sing. It sounds exactly like learning to play bass. And then it just sounds like the end goal is more yeah. more utility yeah, yeah. focused. So it's it's like to yeah, me yeah. they're so similar. The craft. Yeah, yeah. But it's it is a creative craft. You're right. It's it's especially if you're a chef in this in a more conventional sense in that you're creating new dishes, you're creating menus, you're uh you're working with a staff under you, you know what I mean? You're working as a leader. Um that in itself is not only a craft, not only a, a creative thing either, you know what I mean? There, there is an art to it, uh, creating food that not only tastes, but looks good to the eye, which is extremely important. Um, there's also a, the whole like being a leader, you, there's there's the leadership aspect to it, the social aspect to it that, that uh, cannot be faked, uh, cannot be learned in an institution either, you know what I mean? It's something that you have to, you have to gain over the years. Um, I mean, like I've, I've been like a head chef at a at a bar in NDG, but I mean, like I'm not a chef in the tier of like you know what I mean. These guys who do uh, molecular gastronomy and wow. you know what I mean, five star Michelin chefs and shit like that. You know what I mean? Um, I'm an OG line cook. I've been doing it for 12 years. I have created menus. I've helped create menus. I've helped open kitchens. I've helped close kitchens. 
I've done a lot of it, man. I've got over 20,000 20, hours in kitchens. I've done the math. And uh, I now have the opportunity to create the menu for the Hip Hop Cafe with uh, our friend Olivier Pro. Yeah. So when that does open, uh, that's going to be me. That's going to be my food, my creation, my... Uh, That's going to be the, so, the, the yeah. over a decade of shit yeah, that I've had to shovel in my face um, coming to life into a creative fun menu. So what I heard you just say is, and then I became a chef chef. Got you. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm trying. <laughs> you know what I mean? I never went to, I never went to school for it. So, like, that's the whole thing is you can learn through experience, but you really have to know your shit. You really have to be able to execute it and, and back up all your talk if you want to call yourself a chef. That, I've learned that the hard way. I've been chewed out by so old much. mentors and shit. Well, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? And there's there's a competitive edge to it, you know, and there's an egotistical edge to it too because if anybody's ever worked in a kitchen or in a restaurant or a bar that's listening or whatever, you know what I'm talking about where you have to be able to hold your own. You have to be able to not back down to be able to stand up for yourself. Because there's people that will fucking eat you alive, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, this stuff very much like the hip hop world, I guess, in, in many ways. So I, I'm just saying, with all that, I could see how maybe, maybe you scratched a little itch in, in in the kitchens that maybe made it like, yeah, this is just this is good for me. You know, like oh yeah, absolutely. I think um, something I love to do too, you know. So a lot of us, it's like, nah, we don't have that. Like I don't, I don't get that from work. I don't get any. I mean, yo, there's corporate office politics, my guy. I mean, it's kind of like it, but it's, yeah, yeah. I've worked in a corporate restaurant before, it's uh, just, which I get the only job I've ever been fired from, actually. So I know, I know all about that. So, I mean, it's been mad useful. Uh, I'm not gonna downplay the mm -hmm. education of what I've learned at my day job, but um. Yeah, like, I would rather make money being a music podcasting fucking media mogul. That sounds like way dober. I'm just going to sure. throw it out there. But I think a lot of us want that. And that's why I'm like, to achieve that goal, I mean, I think there needs to be a tier of super fun shit for kids and students and young people that just want to go to end of the week. Like, end of the week is fucking power. Like, it's a powerhouse. But then you also need to oh, have yeah. other shit. And it needs to be like this honestly like an orgy of opportunities that a person can have of different things that will cater to their moods more than it just being Absolutely. a lot of whatever so i'm all for casual shit but you have to tell us about your end of the week experiences mostly because fucking i've seen that fucking picture with that story like six times now and so you may as well run that broken leg fucking which which story where i showed up on crushes yeah man that shit like that but just oh, run through God. your experiences with end of the week because they're kind of important um, in my life right now so it's fucking cool to hear what you've well, gone through with them well interestingly enough uh that was my first year with end of the week was 2019 um i had previously done the cypher uh freestyle competition enough times i've won it actually in fact once or twice When? Shout out to the Cypher, shout out to Vince, shout out to everyone at Urban Science, by the way. Um, I missed that event so much. Anyways, um, end of the week is something I wanted to make sure I was ready for because I saw it as, you know, I recognized that more of like as a uh, higher echelon in, in the international hip hop community, you know what I mean? And there was something that like, shit, if I'm going to do this, I better come correct kind of thing. And then I was invited. I believe it was Guillaume that, that approached me and said, like, oh, why don't you uh, why don't you come on? You know, and I was like, all right, fuck it, let's try it. Uh, so that was a summer of 2019. Um, 
I know the I know the whole the spiel, right? Like I like I know the deal when you go to the to the end of the week competition or whatever. I know what you have to do. Kind of a kind of like I've seen it happen a bunch of times. Uh, and I thought like, okay, like I've done this before. Okay, I should be all right. And I did like not terribly, but not super great the first time. I felt um, I felt like anyways, but I, apparently I did well enough to play second behind Sinecal. I that's, believe that was in July. That's maybe a very August of challenging guy to compete against. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, man. You know that's actually someone. Uh, Shoutouts in. Uh, that's someone I really look up to. Uh, like you know, as a as an entertainer and as a dude. You know what I mean. I find him very entertaining. I find him very chill. Very potent as a rapper. Very funny as me as a as a comedian and, and just really chill. So, anyways, yeah, I was happy with that though. You know what I mean. Um, when the finals came. Um, he couldn't make it for one reason or another. So I was invited as his runner up, uh, as luck would have it. I had fallen off my skateboard one morning on my way to work and tore my ACL. Um, I have never been in that much pain in my life before. Basically your knee bends one way, mine kind of bent the other way. Um, <laughs> very briefly, but pretty fucking tough. Um, anyways, so I was wrapped up in this big cast from my I guess my mid thigh to like my lower shin to keep my knee straight and laid up well, in bed and I missed also a month got a giant ass beard yeah <laughs> yeah I used to rock the beard everybody knows that also this is a bit different I've been blonde my whole life I don't know what happened anyway I got old and my hair turned black so anyways uh, <laughs> sound like a My Chemical uh, Romance song to be honest Oh my god, that's not the kind of punk rock I listen to. But all right, that's that's cool. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, when you invited me, when Guillaume hit me up and he's like, "Hey, look, Sinecal um, can't make it. Can you come as his runner-up?" And I'm sitting there like, "Fuck." At this point, I'm healed up a bit, right? But it's still like walking is a chore. I'm still on crutches, on two crutches, and it's in Laval, and I don't have a fucking, I don't have a ride there. I live uptown. I don't drive, but. I get a chance to perform or to compete rather in the end of the week finals of Quebec. So I'm like, absolutely, I'll be there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, man, um, I fucking uh, jumped on the Metro, bro. I drank like half a bottle of wine, to, like fight off a bit of the pain, the anxiety and shit. And then I jumped up on the Metro. I had a couple friends meet me there later in the night, but, um, yeah, man, uh, getting up on the, first of all, getting there from the Metro to the, to the, uh, to the venue, was several blocks away and again i'm not taking a bus or nothing like uh i hopped along on my fucking crutches man <laughs> but i made it there late just before the event started but um i made it there i had a great night i mean uh, i was in a lot of fucking pain though <laughs> you know what i mean but it was for the love of it man again it's it's got to be fun for me it's got to be it just seemed like that's gonna be fun. I absolutely have to go do this, and also that's like the baddest shit ever, bro. <laughs> this dude hopped along on his crutches to come and compete, and fucking yeah, people still talk about it, I guess. Um, well, I see it on Facebook. It might be you that shares it. It might be other people that shares it. It might be end of the week Quebec. I don't fucking know who shares it, but man, when that shit shows up, and it's happened, I guess twice now because of the years. But like, man, you just can't help it. You read the whole fucking post and you're like, damn, that's a fucking story. Like, that's one hell of a story. Yeah. And the picture yeah, looks fucking glorious. Fucking... And I'm just sitting there going, yeah, 
I uh I never got to do the end of the week tournament thing. For anyone that's interested, I believe the the footage is on YouTube. I'm pretty sure if you sift through uh enough end of the week um footage you know, of type, which there's fucking hours. Type of. Quebec. You have to type Quebec or else yeah, it's gonna yeah, be, it has to be the main, end of, main end of the week, yeah. which is a lot of footage. It was the finals twenty nineteen. If anybody wants to see me make an asshole of myself. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I mean I'm I'm actually pretty proud of myself that I was able to fucking fight off that coursing pain right. through my leg big question <laughs> then so uh <laughs> to make it there yeah what's your favorite round at end of the week given the tournament style hmm. don't really remember what was different about the tournament style as opposed to well the, just not the, mean like i meant the, well, well, right right the final fight. style too well, like there's this uh, my, acapella, I, the beat round, the fucking... My favorite round has always been if when, I, when I'm when i given words. I mean, like, at least in the cipher, it was always a normal thing. They give you a list of words to incorporate. The items are a bit tougher, but I find when they give you words to use, mm. um, it's always been a... When I have a jump-off point, when it's, like, freestyling, kind of know what you would like to do with that word, kind of where you would want to place it in a sentence and what sentiment you would like to express using that word. You know, and if you're used to freestyling, then it's something you can do easily. For me, it helps me as a jump up point. If, it, if the first round is the hardest for me, but it's like rap for like freestyle, you know, completely, completely off the top, with like no subject, no jump off point, whatever, just go. I don't know what to do, but if you give me a list of words, it's like I can kind of formulate very quickly little sentences in my head and how that could tie them together, you know. I never tried the word thing till last Tuesday. And what did you think? Uh, it's not my favorite, but it was everyone else really liked it. So I like it when a lot of people like things and I'm like, well, I mean, okay. But they were like giving me words that didn't exist. So I, that was fun. Uh, I don't know. I just <laughs> yeah. rap about whatever the fuck's on my mind stream of consciousness in those moments. And I'm all right with that. Cause I've always just been, I'm really bad at puns. And similes, I have like virtually none in my catalog. I have like eight, and so I'm so like super proud of the ones I did come up with. But like, nah, I'm just so it's like, yo, if I have to start freestyling, I'll be like, okay, Jay Deville said I have to start freestyling, so I got to be kind of proper with it while out, show the people, you know, fly out, you know, just I'm not saying that was dope. I'm saying, you know, that's just where my brain would go. Just take that last thing I heard and just move it, like whatever it is, or I'll be, be mad. Sometimes I hear some shit like seven minutes ago and be like, fuck that. I'm mad about that idea. And then I'll just, whatever I'm mad about, oh my God, it's easy as shit in the world. I'll just rant, mm. rant with rhymes. That's the best way for me. But, you know, people want punches and shit. Well, that's it. That I feel like shit. if I have a... And then that's where, like... Well, that's what I... Eh? Like, people really want punches and shit in that kind of vibe a lot. So I'm, like, not really translate. I don't translate well into that environment. I learned that with End of the Week New York. I'm like, oh... It isn't that I don't make music good. It's that I don't make New York-styled music good. <laughs> and I'm like, fair enough. I totally, 100% respect that. What's up, DJ Magnanimous? Shout out him. Um, Art Magnanimous. What's up, man? Yeah, Love that dude. I like him a lot. I have many good memories where he's in the background being DJ man. And it's like, how do you dislike a guy when you have good memories of them? And some of your highlights are like, yeah, I got to showcase this shit. And he's there. Alright, bro. Alexa, turn the light on. Yeah, that's cool. My I got a timer for my light and shit. I never thought <sighs> once about timers for lights. That's an interesting idea. I haven't explored a lot. 
Um, <laughs> anyway, I get distracted in interviews like that at a certain point. Um, but yeah, so yeah, so you did the end of the week thing. Uh, you, then you went to the finals, and that's blessed. Would you go back to end of the week? Uh, well, COVID popped off a few months later, so no. I ended up at a barbecue uh, where people was fucking freestyling, so I mean that happened one time. Oh yeah, I didn't hear about that. Okay. But to be fair, it wasn't like an event event. Um, it was like. I don't know how at that point I had discovered the end of the week zoom because of basics like hitting me up and be like, bro, can we activate in the zoom? Mm. So you have to come, we have to be there. Come, yeah. And so I did, I think you were there too. I'm pretty sure I saw you. I've actually. done it a few times. I've done it a few times. And so I just, I have a very hard time sitting in front of my computer and freestyling and I don't feel like I catch a vibe with people like digitally like this. That's why I don't pop up on, on your freestyle thing. You know what I mean? Sometimes I'll come and watch, but. Nah. There's a reason why I don't really pop up on ciphers online. You know what I mean? I totally I don't feel inspired <laughs> sitting here in this fucking basement. I totally appreciate <laughs> that. Like to be fair, I'm in the same room. I I make music in when I'm on my shit. Like so, for me, this is the creative room and space where like I'm gonna right. come and do my shit. So like I feel like that's an interesting point. If your environment's not that inspiring perhaps it's not a great place to come rap i like that you said that that's such an interesting point. not for a freestyle cypher bro you know what i mean when i'm like when i'm in the cypher it means i'm surrounded by dudes because you're feeding off of their energy live you know what i mean and you, that's when you take somebody's subject and you make that as a jump point and people like that you know what i mean and then you can impress yourself once you get on a roll you can impress yourself with the not just the puns. For me, it's not so much about wordplay, but about like the powerful shit that you can say and make sense and purvey a cool feeling through your music, through your words and shit. You know what I mean? And when you can do that right off the top of your head or make it funny or interesting or something, you know what I mean? Depending I, on what the subject is, depending on what the subject, what the setting is. Yeah, that's fair. I was really bad at in-person ciphers because up until like COVID, I was a little bit more shy and cowardly in those moments. So I could remember being there and it's fucking monkey and like cool man, Logan, I'm, yo man, you try cutting into these presences when they don't know who the fuck you are. Like it's one thing if they know who you are, but they don't know who you are. It's like extra hard to even get like a one, two bar in. Yeah. I finally did. Got monkey to respect it. That was a big moment for me. Cause he remembered it, so yeah. that was really cool. Um, yeah, yeah. But man, it was so awkward. Honestly, just standing in his circle, like, can I, can I rap for five minutes too? Can I? No, you know, like that's that was. So the Zoom was like, I don't know if I like that environment. I'm an antisocial motherfucker that doesn't like to cut in. Because yo, I just feel weird about it. I feel weird cutting you off to rap. You know, like I feel weird about that. I know. Yeah. Now, fuck it. I went to Girard Park and stole that fucking cipher, but like. Uh, the other shit changed but like prior to that i was kind of in that vibe so like to me it was more like fuck it i'll do it on zoom on my platform on my channel and then i'll feel mad comfortable and i just created an environment that i was cool with and then you know that was just it and then i would love to do it in real life but i think the zoom thing has a vibe for a particular series of reasons where it's worth pursuing forever because like Yo, like you're never gonna have the in and out level of casualness that people from all over can hit it up. Like, it's possible the homeboy in South Africa could show up one day if he can like figure it out on time zone shit. Like that shit can't happen in a park. So it's like you compromise the in real life bonuses of energies and you in you get international. 
I don't know, man. It's fucking cool. Like, that's always been the trade-off. Like, I've been able to connect with people that don't live here because of the internet at the cost oh, yeah. of yeah, yeah. meeting people that's here. That's always a cool feeling. That's always a cool feeling. I had, like, I even had a dude reach out to me once recently. He was like, yeah, man, cool. I wish I could make it to the show. I was promoting a show a couple years ago. He was like, yeah, I wish I could make it to the show. And I'm like, hey, man, why don't you come out or whatever? And he's like, oh, because I live in Beirut. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I'm like, I got fans in Beirut. That's interesting <laughs> you know what i mean and that that kind of shit does happen i mean like when you push your shit online fucking ask anyone i don't know if you know about tokyo kid you probably know tokyo kid uh, i went to high school with him actually um but there's the reason why he calls himself tokyo kid i'm pretty sure is because when he first started making his music and shit he actually started to develop a fan base in japan you know what i mean the internet does uh interesting things especially in the first 10 years of the internet blowing up from 2000 to 2010 we did a lot of weird albeit very um um inexperienced things with the internet you know i would say that we're at this place where the migration to live interactive has recreated a lot of those magical moments like golden jenny's here i don't know if she's still here because she's in norway and whatever it's late but yo golden jenny shows up from norway oh, all go. the fucking time and like yo just, just like just people that like i would have never met or had that or like it just blows my mind. Mm -hmm. And now I want, I don't know how to fully do it. I want to blend it with real life. If I can get like a jam space and like a projector, I think I can create like a hybrid that like integrates real life with the zoom call in a fucking weird way that could work. Um, like a hologram. No, literally just imagine. Okay. Cause what do you put behind you on the set? Like a lot of times we put our logo and shit. Fine. That's a move. But what if instead it projects a zoom call? And on the Zoom call, a motherfucker could rap and the people in the bar or wherever you're at could hear it. And anybody that fucking rap in there is heard on the Zoom call. So now you've done something like you've bridged the gap, like, you know, that's what I like to do. Uh, and fucking like, <laughs> uh, uh, fucking like kind of blend it, right? Like if I can pull that off, yeah, yeah. my God, it's the utopia. Cause then the streams, the, the shows monetize doubly. You're monetized. Yeah and then like you can do anything because if like that like, if you're not it's just like robbing yourself <laughs> you know it's, it's almost robbing yeah, yeah. yourself to not find a way to do this shit at least stream your shit live moving forward yeah. whoever the fuck you are whatever show you're doing stream it to twitch every time like bro just do it i thought about getting into it uh, we had that conversation a few months ago actually i was saying like fuck i would actually i've thought about doing it you know what i mean but more this kind of thing more of a no, I mean like podcast or, or or maybe even comedy sketching. I don't know, like sketch comedy, something something interesting. You know what I mean? Not just standing there and rapping. Not for me anyway. You know. No, I hear you, but like what I'm saying is, look at what King of the Dot and them do. They take their event that you would pay live and they stream it to their fucking caffeine if it's URL and Twitch if it's. And we're talking like these are real enterprises, right? So if we look at how they're utilizing it. There's the in-person experience, which allows them to tour and set up shit in their main places, LA or wherever the fuck, Toronto or whatever their setup is. And then simultaneously, they just set it up that you could also go watch it live on a platform that allows donations. Because the fact is 50,000 people will show up to that stream if it's a good event on top of whoever's in the room. So it's like mm -hmm. that to me is a little bit what I so like. You were going to have all these local events start happening right somehow walk a flock is coming you know what i'm saying like things are coming 
and I'm not saying the Waka Flocka one has to be like the one you stream because that's kind of bigger profile than what I'm thinking. But like, say like a CY showcase, you take that shit and you just stream it live to the fucking CY Southwest fucking Twitch channel or whatever. And I say Twitch because it's your best place to get money slash not deal with copyright in bad ways. You're safe as bet right now. All the other sites will fuck you. Um, so you do that. You run your live show as you're doing your real life show. At least then people who don't right. go can be part of your experience. Because, yo, there's a percentage right. of that audience that's never leaving their house again. <laughs> right, right. So, I don't know, man. I just want to see people making moves like that. Because we a tech city. That's what Montreal is, actually. So let's be tech a little bit more. That's my dreams. Holden's dreams. Yeah, yeah. But you're a promoter. I guess. What would be your tips for like live shit coming? You've dibbled and dabbled, but you've had a couple of stories involving yeah. you promoting. So you're more of a promoter than I. What would be your tips for like actually doing promoting? So let's say I want to go throw a show in these new era. What would be the Jay Deville guide to not doing stupid shit that you should know about? I'd like to begin with I'm the absolute worst person to ask that question, but um, I'll answer it regardless. Um, what I've always done is like kind of guerrilla marketing, um, mad flyers, mad posters, you know what I mean? Um, gives it kind of a nostalgic feel, first of all. That's something I've always been a fan of personally. So I go and hand out flyers at shows or hand out flyers at events, you know, to go downtown, hand out flyers to people that look like they listen to hip hop music and you talk to people and you hand out flyers when you talk to people and uh, things like that. Putting up big posters in spots where a lot of people are going to see it before the cops come along and put it down. You know, it brings me back to my graffiti days, I guess, in a sense. Um, I wouldn't say that is the way of going forward in the future, though. Yeah, it's <laughs> that's been something I've always done. Social media is obviously a great thing, but one thing I will say that you shouldn't be doing um, if you're trying to promote either a show or yourself or an artist or whatever, don't go and add random people that have mutual friends from the hip hop community and inbox them your fucking YouTube link or your SoundCloud link. Don't do that shit, please. Like it's it's I haven't like we've talked about how inactive I've been in music for a very long time now and I still get people inboxing me their stuff then it's like I'm not the person to be sending this stuff to if I have a show that I'm putting together I'm gonna go out and scout local talent I'm not gonna be checking for the guy that's harassing me or mass tagging me and shit I've gotten into mad arguments with people over this shit I, I just don't like it I think it's fucking ugly don't do that shit um, if you're gonna use social media as a platform for for production uh, sorry for promotion rather um, it doesn't hurt to pay into it, man. Get um, sponsored links. Uh, apparently, it's not that expensive. You get a couple of sponsored links, and it looks much more professional when you have a sponsored link that reoccurs on people's timeline um, rather than being mass tagged by the person who has the same name as the track. You're, you're thinking, like, there's, there's shameless self-promotion, which looks fucking ugly. It's part of the game, but there's creative ways to do it. You can just pay into a little bit of promotion online. I mean, and obviously word of mouth is my favorite form of promotion. When people talk about you because you're a dope artist, because you're a dope act, that's why they want to come see you. That's why they're going to pay money to come see you. You know? I agree with you. I'm not a thousand percent. Like, just do something that's going to make people talk. I guess that's that's my biggest piece of advice is uh, I don't like be that. whack, you know? I'm more sold on paid. Yeah, do something that's going to make people talk about you. 
I'm more sold on paid to promote your show than your song because you know to me it's all about return on investment at the end of the day if you're doing paid you're literally putting up a cost so now you have to monetize back in some way or another streams isn't it views isn't it like that doesn't pay that's not how you make money in this so it's like why would you put money into something that's not as a, not as a local yeah you're right. no i'm talking i got accidents i'm just saying on raw numbers and shit right i got an accidental eight thousand on fucking youtube by some random youtube shit 25 bucks i'm just saying views don't pay my guy like they don't pay like when you run that yeah, number exactly. that means a hundred that means what so if i had eight hundred thousand we're talking what not even 2k and shit like you know maybe 2k but that's best case scenario that's still not a lot of money if you think about advertising to get to that point you're actually probably going to be running some l's on that number that's what i'm trying to say whereas a show well now you have a monetization point your sales of the tickets and shit so at that point the more eyes you put on it the higher likely you convert you figure out the number of conversions that you can get blabbly bloobly but fact is yeah i will take your show more seriously if i see you put money behind it i do pay attention to sponsored events because those are events that i feel like are taken more seriously now that i think about it mm -hmm. but also you make money back because you might put in fifty dollars and sell five more tickets and boom you've made your money back so like there's like a direct yeah. correlation between the dollars in and the dollars out I don't know why yeah. people don't look at paid like that, but that's how I think you got to look at paid. But everything else he said, I'm like mad with you on Gorilla. That's why. <clears throat> Another thing I've, I've, I've always wanted to, well, we've always tried actually to tap into is uh, getting paid sponsorships from corporations uh, to do promotion for them at your shows. You know what I mean? So let's say like Red Bull, PBR, even, even local, I mean like... Um, I know evidence clothing isn't a thing anymore, but evidence used to do that for the hip hop community. For example, uh, who else? Um, um, the NDG clothing company there. What the fuck? Um, um, the one that's like on Sherbrooke. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't remember the name. What the fuck? Anyways, um, local companies that would like to do you know what I mean. They'll give you certain merchandise to move at their shows or they'll like they'll help invest in your costs or whatever the shit. case is, as long as you promote their whoever the you know fuck I mean? has the list that kind of, of stuff. shit is valuable right now <clears throat> pardon me whoever the fuck has the list of all the people that do that right now is pretty valuable that's all i can say yeah for sure because it's not an easy thing to tap into you have to make them you have to give them an impressive press kit that shows them that you're a serious entertainment firm or whatever the fuck or that you're a serious artist or whatever the case that you're that your your platform is worth putting money and merchandise into that there's going to be like you said a invest in return on their end you know what i mean but if you can convince for example pbr to hook you up with a couple of cases to sell cheap or some pbr shirts or whatever the case and they also give you 500 bucks to pay for the venue or to pay for promotion or whatever the case you know what I mean? That's 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 something that we've tried to tap into, but it's not easy to make. You know what I mean? Unless you've created a platform that is recognizable, um, and the, you just you'd have to make that shit look professional as fuck. You know what I mean? You have to take that shit mad seriously. And I'm not a business person, so nah, that's I don't know what I'm done with that. I know that's where we go back to that like party versus serious thing. You know what? I thought more about that since you brought it up. Not everyone has to be serious with it. I just think the people who are no, running. No, but there the there has to be people that take it seriously. You're not wrong about that. I just mean me personally. I, it's not. It's never been something I've tried to monetize. It's not the reason I got into this shit. Obviously, if I had the opportunity to make a living off of this, 
and be um, be um, consistent enough to be able to make money off of it, then I absolutely would love that. But I, I didn't see that happening. You know what I mean? I found it always more of just an escapism. It's just something I've done more than a hobby because it does make money. Not very much, but like it can be your second job, your side hustle, whatever you want to call it. For me, it was just like for a long time, just like that fucking it's a stereotypical, but that song hip hop is my life. The reason that I said that was that felt like hip hop at that point in my life was my lifestyle. It really was. And, and my bread and butter was one, you know, at the time washing dishes, making salads, you know what I mean? Doing humble kitchen work. Um, but yeah, I mean, like it's just for me anyways, it's, uh, it's more about having fun. You know what I mean? It's always just been more about just making music and, fucking if it's not fun bro i don't want to do it if i'm not enjoying it if i'm not enjoying every fucking moment of my life bro it's like it's not worth you know what i mean i I know that sounds stupid i know that sounds stupid and boyish or whatever in a sense but like think about this you you could do shit with your life even though it's work even though it's tough even though sometimes it fucking breaks you if you love it though they say if you love what you do you won't work a day in your life that's bullshit but if you love what you do (laughs) You will work many days in your life and you'll fucking love it. You'll come home at the end of the day. You'll sit down and you'll say, what a fucking day. And I'm proud of myself because I'm still here and I'm still doing it. And I'm going to wake up tomorrow and do the same shit. Yeah, big facts. The truth is I love being super serious. I know it sounds weird, but I love it. I have a lot of trouble letting go and having fun. That isn't my cup of tea. A lot of people like to have fun. So trust, we need fun people at the party. I need to go. Sure. I mean, you want uh, me to sit in the is, corner is and just show it's up, do fun, my thing. But, but like, nah, I'm all like, yeah. it's just vibe. Like people have that there, and I think like at the end of the day, though, like you still are contributing. I mean, the fact that you're gonna help out Olivier with that, you know, or just to be involved like that in these ways, it's like kind of big, you know. It's not, and this is the fact yeah. that maybe you stop recording at a certain point because of X Y Z reason. And then you're still involved. In I feel like that's people. more of a hiatus. It's not. Yeah, anyways, it's. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm. I. I plan on making new music, releasing new music. I plan on. Well, I certainly hope so. It, it's. It's just that, like, I felt like I haven't been in the right headspace for a little while. I've been trying to get my personal life together. That is finally coming together. You know, I got engaged last year, to like my best friend in the world. And like my life, my personal life as an adult man, it's coming together. So I can now focus on, start to focus on, refocus on the things that I used to love so much in my life that brought me so much joy. Um, But I'm just, I'm having a hard time fighting a lot of cynicism about why still be this 30 something year old local rapper, you know what I mean? Mm. Why not pursue something else, you know what I mean? The food thing is also something like I'd love to do and I don't see myself giving it up, but right. it's also... Uh, I can say that you know, while I take music in a sense at a marketing front more serious than ever, I've never had more friends in my life than taking music more seriously. I don't know how else to put it, but it attracted like, imagine being able to like all of a sudden Vincent Price and like Cool Man Logan and I are hanging out and like these are the guys I'm hanging yeah. out with. <laughs> I'm like, what mm-hmm. the fuck happened? When, like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, so, I don't know. There's a whole bunch of people coming out of the woodwork that have also decided it's time. So I'm just saying, Jay Deville, when you want to show up, there's a bunch of people in a whole world that are also 
coming out the woodwork and doing things right now. It's, it's a it's a bubbling era where there's just everything. Everybody can have a lane right now in Montreal. It's it's literally one of those like oh my god we're a couple of years away from actual flow and circulation of cash. It's it's fucking fascinating. So the move is though Jay, a big mistake of our past. We target everywhere that's not named Montreal. And we take them and give their money to us. That's my plan. <clears throat> That's okay. why it's got to be on the internet. Mm. So we can sell shit to people that That's don't me. live here. Let Atlanta get yeah, us money. I feel you. <laughs> and I'm like, that sounds dope to me. That sounds like a plan where we all get a little bit. Not to say that I want like everyone to suffer. I would just love to see like a circulation flow of money coming in to support our cultural arts. Bro, it's to the point where I'm going to go ask all these local politicians and NDG and interviews about what they're going to do for the local arts so we can get some tourism dollars up in this bitch. I'm like, yo. I'm it just... actually is an important political question to me anyways. I'm like, yo. And especially in places like Montreal. Well, especially in NDG, which has a population of 166,000 people. And apparently they care <laughs> way more about parents and housing was what I found in the first one. And that's fair. Yeah, I mean, what am I supposed to say? Like, housing's a really good thing to care about, but I'm also like, yeah, that's I'm not like... what I care about as much. So I'm like, hmm. So I, I ended up like freestyling this bar on this shit where I'm like, I don't remember it verbatim, but it's like, yo, there's all this culture here, but the politicians have other crises. And I'm like, that's the reality, you know? So it's like, how do we like, get their answers and then go back to people so it's like yo we just have to pretend like we're a fucking tiny town in Ontario and then we're gonna be alright yeah okay and I, I don't know I feel like we have a we have a very worldwide renowned um, um, arts and culture identity in Montreal that's kind of how I've always seen it big and scale. I don't mean strictly in music or hip hop I mean just like in in, in, in terms in general, just like mm. Montreal is a place that has always been known in terms of its arts and culture and all that. And Not I feel like it's important that if you're going to be running for mayor of whatever borough of Montreal or Montreal itself, that arts and culture is well, something that you're willing to... But it's actually know, why I give such a shit about local politics, because Cordaire, in all of his efforts to go high-scale tourism, really chokeholded the local scene a little bit and made our lives as interesting. Yeah. And then Plant didn't do shit, but shit, in my opinion. I don't know what Plant did to make my life as an artist easier. So I'm also going, I don't know what it is there. So I would love to talk to Ballerana Holness, Ballerama Holness and be like, bro, what are you going to do about this issue? Do you care about this at all? Because I just want it to be like, I don't know I'm going to talk to him. But I have city councilor Christian Arsenal down to talk to me in a couple of weeks. So let's see how that one goes and it should be good. But I wanna I wanna talk to all of them about it. I wanna know what the fuck's going on with our local art scene and like why is it that it's so big but like the there's like three venues in all of NDG. Like for real, there's like three venues. True. That's weird to Very me. True. And then the answer is gentrification and houses and shit. Whatever. Because they'll be like, you're going yeah, to Honey like Martin. I'm like, Honey Martin ain't going to have me come rap. That's not going down. <laughs> like, that's the problem. So it's like, I want to really, but that's it. Like, I don't know. I got really caught up on that politics tip for a quick second there because I'm excited about it. But I just think. Oh, it's, oh yeah. No, it's, but it's important. Especially as an artist, as a musician. It's like, good to care about that kind of shit, bro. <laughs> Obviously. I just think it matters uh, if we care about our scene. 
not that we have a huge influence, but imagine a bunch of English rappers started rapping about Cordero and Plant. <laughs> you know what? Global news might cover that. And then if a bunch of people at work, you, you, you go to work one day and they're like, yo, bro, what's going on with all these rappers talking about Cordero and Plant? And you're like, what the fuck? Wouldn't that be amazing branding for the Montreal hip hop scene? What, a uh, small political drama? It's kind of big scale for our reality. I mean, they're taking French away. Yeah, I guess. Like, why don't we rap about French issues? Like, to me, that's a weird thing. I realized that this year. I'm like, I don't rap enough about the fact that my mom can't get medical help in English no more. That's kind of a weird concern. Yeah. With a growing precedent or the fact that, like, uh, they're assimilating French education, French people out of English education. The education thing is, um, yeah, the education thing is something of, that just means you know what I mean. I mean, limiting access to English. I recognize French. I, I do recognize French as like the official language and whatever. And it's like quite important to learn French if you're going to be a Quebec citizen. But at the same time, we are not just the historical Anglophones of Quebec, but all Quebec citizens. If they should choose to get an education in English, it shouldn't be so fucking hard. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I agree with you there. That should be talked about a little bit more, especially by musicians. Especially for a hip-hop purist that knows for a fact that in the purest era they were into local politics. And you know way too many random U.S. politicians named because of hip-hop. <laughs> That's true, actually. Holy shit. Yeah, I know that was like... But it's also, it's punk to fight the man. So it's also super punk for people to do this. It's weird. Yeah, but I mean, outside of hip-hop, I've actually thought about getting back into activism. And, and and or politics you know what I mean if you um, really want to be a politician a right now is the time to not a politician po okay if you want to be a politician uh, if you want to do my kind of politics let's get it <laughs> <laughs> no I don't mean like I, I wouldn't rule it out eventually you know what I mean at ever any point in my life but I mean like as it stands um, I've done like a tiny little bit of activism in my life and it felt fucking great tiny little bit of this tiny little bit of that and obviously always cared about political things and i'm obviously a fucking flagrant leftist uh, you know what i mean not overly so but you feel me um and heavier leaning than most <laughs> hey man if you say so anyways you're unapologetic so, about it i don't have any disrespect for you oh yeah, that's, there's, that's there's no haterness in my comment you're more left than me what I i'm seeing say. what i'm seeing in the world politically now what i'm seeing is like a, a rise of a lot of really scary shit and disinformation and, and, and fake news and all this shit. And it's, the world is becoming infinitely more scary to me by the day. I, I say this to my wife pretty often that if my mom was alive today, she would freak the fuck out. She would lose her fucking mind. She absolutely hated Donald Trump. She thought he was, he was fucking Satan long before he got involved in politics. She fucking, she loved Bill Cosby. If she found out about that shit, she would lose her fucking mind. You know what I mean? And it's, it's things like that that make me think about, like, damn. My, my whole political identity and understanding of the world and shit like that came from the second Bush era, right? Obviously from the W era. War on drugs. Well, sorry, the war on terror, rather, and, and all that fucking bullshit. And um, so I've obviously always seen... Um, I've seen the world in a certain, in a certain lens, Um Anyways, so that's that's one thing. But the world was a little bit more cut and dry. When Republicans were Republicans, and the news was the news, and even though there was Republican news and liberal news, 
the liberals were liberals and Republicans were Republicans and, and that politics, even though it was a fucking circus, it kind of made sense. The liberals were the underdogs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now we live in a world where it's, 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 it's insane the things that people believe without getting too much into detail on the subject. It's insane the things that people believe. Uh, I think it's important for us all to keep our heads during all this shit. Mm. And you know what I mean? Even though we don't agree with each other on certain little fundamental things, um, not to get carried away into crazy fucking shit that is extremely destructive. Trust, I would definitely <laughs> um, reel you in. You know, that's that's why I feel like we should get, I personally feel like I just want to get more involved again into activism or into politics or because I'm seeing a lot of growth. You know, let's take Canada right now and what we're going through right now. I'm seeing a lot of pain, but I'm seeing a lot of growth. But I'm also seeing a lot of um, um, opposition to that. Um, I feel a lot of that is based in ignorance and a lot of that is based in hate and uh, things like that. And it's things like that I want to change about the world. You know what I mean? I definitely empathize heavy. How I see it. Believe it or not, I've read several books on big system change management because I'm truly fascinated by revolution. I read an 800-page book on Che Guevara. <laughs> like, trust, I'm really fascinated by yeah, how to create system change. I actually change. studied here revolutionary applied history in China in college and shit. Like, yeah, I, I know nifty. a lot about this. Nifty as fuck yeah, that man. whole era. But, like, I'm fascinated on how to create systemic change at a macro level. It's, it's so boring to learn about. But, like... Um, I used to be a lot angrier and a lot more direct and a lot more insulty and it got me nowhere And then I will vividly remember this one guy who was like, bro, you're absolutely right But you insulted me so many times like why why did you do that? Like really think about what he said and then my girlfriend was like you're a shithead for years And she was probably right. I don't think I'm a shithead anymore like I used to be but she was right. I used to be an antagonistic little fucking shit. It would be like, yo, bro, you said some shit that goes against my political beliefs? Fuck you. And trust, yeah. I would have caught Facebook bans back in the days and shit. So I, I yeah. unfortunately was like that at work. Um, and that was starting to get like problematic because my salary went up. And um, as your salary goes up, your behavioral expectations change in a big way if you want it to like keep going up. Um and then my boss and i'm so grateful for this basically spent five years turning late 20s angry shithead me into i can lie through my fucking teeth like a politician me um and that's just what it is so like i know how to say everything without cussing i know how to take i know how to like argue with some people you may be thinking of and not actually end up in the same place that most of you do on semantics because it's kind of stuff that I like I do for work and shit like PR reputation sure. management and so you learn a lot about finesse and activism to me like yo it's one thing to change a guy on Facebook's mind it's another thing to change a rich guy's mind so I started thinking about that how do you actually change the mind of somebody that doesn't see people as people that's when it got really different and I'm like well I gotta up my stature in life and shit and understand data better because the entire world's data centric it's less political centric you're right and all these politicians pay data analysis firms to know way more than they're supposed to and the level of susceptibility on interneting is fucking weird right now i don't know it's a scary time but i also find that there's an age curve on it 
where the younger you go, the wiser they get. And that is beautiful to me. The fact that like a bunch of young internet savvy people don't believe the bullshit and it's a bunch of old people arguing on Facebook is also just like the most I can sleep at night shit forever because the young people's going to have our backs and they're going to fix shit. They're going to like approach problems with such dynamic brains that like stuff we failed to do for decades is going to be easy to them. And I just know that in my bottom of my heart and I'm just so comfortable yeah. knowing that they're cooler than us. And that's it's just the most comforting shit like but you look at old people I suppose the younger generations are getting i guess like the younger generations are becoming more and more progressive over the years but it's not becoming more and more i mean it, it's know. not even just canada or the states it's like when i went no to, no the world over the world over so it's like yeah. i don't know yeah it's weird i feel like the world the, the younger generations like even even let's take us millennials for example in contrast to our, our parents' generations, like the boomers, when society was a bit more segregated, you know what I mean? Just for example, for an extreme example. Um, and I don't mean just like black and white. I mean, like even like Catholics and Protestants, French and English, shit like that. And like there was a lot more segregation. There was a lot more people sticking into their communities or whatever. You flash forward 30 years, 40 years, you have us millennials who were born in the 80s and 90s who... Um, grew up around different and started to associate ourselves and identify with all kinds of different people and we start to see life in a different way so if we flash forward to the generation who are being born now and the younger generations who are upcoming and shit like that it kind of makes sense to me that the more and more you're right um the younger generations are going to well, like, i guess see the world in a more broad perspective and even take like language issues you're gonna tell me that little french kids up in the middle of nowhere quebec ain't all up on english culture just on the internet being available now you know like the internet's yeah, yeah. finally there that's a big statement because 10 years ago there might not have been internet in a lot of these places type thing and like who the fuck can't speak french under the age of 25 like unless you just got here and you never had a reason to everybody's fucking bilingual at a certain age that and the, the youth because yeah. they're like yo fuck that i want to make money in this province but there are some people our age and a little bit older than ourselves or much older than ourselves who grew up in a time when you didn't chill with other people who spoke other languages huge facts and that created a bias for you and you, as an adult even though you know better as an adult you still have this little bias in your head that makes it hard to want to learn french learn english learn whatever the fuck mm. you know i, I was it. lucky like i remember being 11 12 and fighting with you know, we were the irish kids and then there was the french kids and we would fight in the lane ways and all this dumb shit right and by the time we were 19 we were all chilling on the bleachers together you know what i mean at the courts everybody was chilling together yeah i'm um, not gonna lie it, it took a while but that that whole little fred the whole them versus us complex begins to break down you know yeah, for me it was Tinder. I started trying to date French girls and they said my accent was cute. And I'm like, oh, say a fucking word. Moi, je parle français maintenant. My accent's trash. I speak French pretty fucking fluently. Um, but it's also like you go to work and you realize like it's just like easier or something. Like you'll be in a presentation and if you don't understand French and you see the look on the person's face when they have to do it in English and shit, you're like, yo, but when you're like, yo, moi je comprends, c'est correct. Like they just let you, they run it. Like it's just like politically speaking, yo, you can't make money in this province proper without like speaking French because you're never going to be friends with the right people. 
Yeah. And it's more yeah. important that's just that the way your boss I mean, wants to play and golf. And that's something I'm willing to accept. And that's something I've accepted pretty much my entire life. That, like, yeah, like, French is the main language here. And that's, that's more that's like what it is. my parents. It's part of our identity here. And that's cool, whatever. And I can speak French relatively well. But it's, I it's, think, more um, like my parents will never speak French at an adequate enough level. Like, that's just facts. Like, they're fucking in their 50s. How the fuck are they going to start speaking French proper because Quebec said so? And where the fuck are they going to go, too? That's the other part. Like, you can just leave and go where they don't make money so there should be an aspect of quebec society that it actually does appeal to the anglophone community because we've been here the whole time well you know i would I mean? argue it's not quebec society that i'm attracted to it is just montreal i am not really that loyal yeah, to quebec yeah. i'm loyal to montreal that's my home i just i just mean in like a in a in a, a socio-political identity kind of way that, you know what I mean? That if, yeah. if you're a Quebecois citizen, you have to speak French, right? But the fact is, sorry, <clears throat> switch back. The fact is, uh, there's been <laughs> there's been Anglo-speaking people here. You know what I mean? Since since white folks have been here, you know what I mean? Since well, colonization, I mean, it was Anglo so until really what? Good. Honestly, it was what the mid '90s when they like won, and then it got really French. And then honestly, it wasn't that French at first, um, dude. It wasn't that French. Well, no, no, it absolutely was. It, it was. It just um, <clears throat> what mean, was going to happen was the 90s. It happened before, actually, before the 90s, no, but I'm, it happened almost. I'm saying when the referendum the happened, the exit is yeah, happening. Yeah, so you're talking more about separatism. What I'm talking about, about is population shifts. So up until 95, there wasn't the great exodus of English motherfuckers that happens when all the business capital shift over. And at that moment, Toronto That's becomes true. way more important if you speak English. And there's is a cultural center. Artists start going there. Everybody starts going there. The hub of Anglophones start That's going true. there. And then since then, dude, right away, we didn't feel it. Coast St. Luke was still mad English and shit, you know, where I was at. Um, Coast St. Luke is not mad English no more. It took a while. It took a while for like places like NDG to really start getting friendshipified and shit like that. But nowadays, man, bro, it's like there's it's not like NDG isn't stupidly English still because it really is. But like you can see the at like an institution level, like when you try to do your vaccination shit on the fucking internet and it's fucking hard to make it load in English. And even though you loaded it in English, not all the web fields are in English because fuck you, you speak English. <laughs> and that's I real guess sometimes shit. it gets that rough. Man. And then it's yeah. like, yo, I mean, it's my, it's like the fucking vaccination shit. Translate the fucking web form, my guy. And it was one field that just really bothered me because I noticed shit like that. Um, and like. Yeah, it just freaks me out, man. It's going to freak me out the day that, like, I'm in real big pain and I got to go to a hospital and have some French motherfucker speaking French at me and I'm just not ready for it. Because, yo, I'm not sure that I can handle French in extreme moments when I need to be thinking clearly kind of things. Well, you just, you do your best. And also on his end, he should know, especially if he's working with the public, but, to some extent. But they don't have you to anymore. I mean? And language. that's facts already. I know, but I... I just feel like, you know, a lot of this would be erased if we all spoke our second language and accepted our second language. But I do feel like nah, when you're it comes right to like medical kind of shit, target on the Anglo mm, community. Here's the thing, man. I speak French pretty fucking good. I don't know that I really want to deal with medical, legal, or governmental shit in French exclusively because that's it's just like the entire time I'd be having a conversation, I'd be in like a state of stress. 
as like it matters and I don't know that I understand everything. And yo, I don't know French jargon. Not if you learned French enough that you were comfortable enough with it. You know what I mean? I know if, basic like, shit. I've, I don't know terms. Like jargon is where it gets hard, like, right? Like it's when you have to know yeah, specific shit. Yeah. I mean, shit. like the more, but I find, I find it's less about trying to learn it in like a classroom setting or whatever the case. And it's more about actually like speaking to people that speak a different language. Oh, nobody talks Man, about when I was government like, shit in French. I mean, like, look, in terms of French, we're working in kitchens, like in a gay village in an old Montreal and shit, where like half, more than half of the staff is French speaking. <clears throat> I had to learn all of the terminologies for all the kitchen stuff, for all of the food and all the equipment and shit like that on top of like, like you said, the jargon and, and the little expressions and shit like that. And that's what helped me <laughs> develop my French a little bit more. The more you hang around with people that speak other languages, the more it spills over into you. When I was a kid, I used to chill with a, I used to chill with a kid in my, that lived in my dad's building. Um, and his parents were from South America. One was from Bolivia. The other was from Costa Rica. Anyways. Um, so I used to hang out with this kid who spoke three languages. Um, and he would help me speak French, obviously, but I would actually pick up some Spanish and still to this day, like, habla espanol just a little tiny bit. Not all that much, like, but I'm not, I'm, I'm all right with conversational. I'll do business in French. I'll fucking freestyle in French. We're talking about medical yes, shit. Yeah. We're talking about legalese. Yeah. We're talking about shit yeah, where yeah, yeah. like yeah, yeah, one yeah. missing. Oh. Yo, bro, if I'm in the hospital and the guy's like, are you allergic? And I misunderstand the word, are you allergic? I could die kind of thing. That's scary to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know that I can just pick up enough fucking. I think that's an extreme example, though, because I think most people that work in hospitals can understand at least if it's life or death situation they can understand communicatively I mean, their second language I, I totally, you know what I mean? for now that's the thing is we're talking about for now but you know in 1995 we couldn't have predicted what could have happened now and the government is absolutely stacking shit to like assimilate even further and heavier they do shit where they gerrymander fucking districts so there's less english representation in montreal they took away a district in outremont recent like in the last five years like shit like that happens so it's like i don't know dude i'm skeptical about the government's willingness to comply like montreal just said fuck it we comply let go i'm like oh that's what it is i guess that's what it is right because and then Legault's gonna probably win again because why would he fucking lose the rural people love him so that's like bad news bears for montreal and it's like yo this shit's starting to freak me out like because like the rest of the world is doing creepy shit why wouldn't it happen here that's just ignorant to assume it wouldn't happen here therefore my activism right. type has me having this conversation even if motherfuckers don't want to watch it activism <laughs> No, I really, I really care about this shit. I really feel like with my platform, like what am I doing if I'm not trying to create change <clears throat> since time to varying degrees of success. Yeah, for sure. But at the very least, if people can think about it more and if people know that like I give a fuck about language politics and we can make that a real issue that people care about, like we should. Only 14% of Montreal is English. That's a fucking, that's a minority metric if I ever fucking heard it. And like, yo, I mean... It scares the shit out of me in ways that you get scared of like memes that the government scares me the way memes scare you or the way people argue and memes scare you. So that's what freaks me the fuck out and makes me feel like, nah, I got to do something here. I don't know what I can do, mais je peux faire la même chose en français si je dois. Alors moi, je pense que j'ai le droit de parler à tous les issues parce que je fais l'effort pour apprendre la langue du Québec. 
You know what mm. I mean? Like, it's important, I think, to speak French. I'm not going to take that away from nobody. I just think that, like, it's whack shit to just suppress English targeted, like, because it's not an assault on all languages. It's not really equal. It's more like attack that one language. Yeah, I feel. Anyway, I know that was like a somber tone. I just got real into it. You were like, I want to be a fucking activist. I'm like, well, motherfucker, let's tangle in activism land. <laughs> I don't know. But I... uh, it's just a thought. It's it's really just a thought at the moment. I it's mean, like, thought, I don't want to be on here on a public platform saying that I'm going to get involved in activism. But what I'm saying is I talk a lot about, yeah, I guess I talk a lot of shit online. You, you know what I mean? Sometimes. I try to do a lot it. of that local awareness kind of shit on my Pardon me? We all talk shit online. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I have lost my temper one or two times, and whatever, for better or worse. But what I try to do is just, <laughs> I just try to talk about the shit. I try to change minds where I can. <coughs> you know what I mean? It's always about the how. Even just like, so, I don't know. I just feel like sitting here doing all that shit for a super long time. It's like, I feel like a douchebag because I'm not actually doing anything. I'm you know i'm chastising people on facebook and it's it's not super productive it's not nothing but it really might as well be nothing in this day and shit talk online you know what i mean um so that's why anyway, that's that's all i was saying was that like i'm thinking about it maybe in a different time of my life when i have things more like something i'd like to talk more about is the cafe so let's go back to that in a second but uh when the cafe does open, when life starts to become a little bit more normal for me, life has a little bit more direction, a little bit more normalcy for me. Um, I'm going to have to figure out where life is going to take me in the next 10 years because I just turned 30 and I don't want to be 40 years old with absolutely nothing and no fucking idea what I'm doing with my life. You know what I mean? I was born into that shit and uh, I, I, won't, I won't allow that for myself in the future. Yeah, I'm with you, my guy. I relate to that heavy. Yeah. I'm at, I ha- so, that's why I'm looking forward to the cafe. That's why I'm really looking forward yeah, to that cafe. Opening. Also, just because you say activism doesn't imply that you're going to be this radical activist that nobody should fuck with. No, 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 no. No, like I fucking on Canada Day, um, I went and marched with uh, the people from, from uh, what was it? Fucking the statue at Mount Royal or whatever on Park Avenue to Dorchester Square to where the, McDonald's, uh, the Johnny McDonald statue used to be. Um, and just doing that, like I haven't done anything in a protest or a march or anything like that in a long time. I've worked with uh, Rap Battles for Social Justice a few times. <clears throat> great people, a great organization. Um, I'm like that. Just to me, that's like very minimal, a little bit of activism I've taken part in. And every time, it's just been fun, and it feels good doing it. And it's like it, it, it may not achieve very much in the moment, but it just I don't know, it feels better than shit talking online you know what i mean well, it's like you so got, it's, that's what i mean by activism or more things like that getting more involved in community activism for example i hear you man like i mean i hear you because i used to shit talk a lot online and now i don't have to i really don't feel the need to shit talk online mostly i mean i like to i have my moments where i like to goof <clears throat> i like to have some goofs on the internet but um yeah in general it's like I, for a long time i've tried to use my platform as a vessel for change i don't know if activism is the right word i suppose you could label me in some regards an activist um i do care i wore an orange shirt that was honestly just because yo i i on on canada day i was streaming live and i said listen i'm not really want to do this shit but i get the feeling if i don't wear the orange shirt 
that's going to send the wrong <coughs> fucking signal to a lot of people I fuck with. And so I wore the shirt and I said, that seemed like a good time to like do the thing. Cause I'm not really a profile picture person, whatever. I'm more likely to like fucking write a song about that shit and fucking talk about it on 74 podcasts. Like that's my steez. Yeah. I'll, yo, but to be no, fair, just... like I'll go like right up to rich people and speak my mind too. Like I'm not afraid to like take it to people that aren't expecting it. Oh, for sure. But in person, I don't like to do it on the internet. Nobody listens on the internet the way they do in person. Exactly. Exactly. Actually, man, I'm telling you that day, that March, I saw a few things that were just, uh, it showed me that Canada can, there's this, you know what I mean? The internet's not real. There's life, hope man. for, there's hope for people. Huh? Just got to remember it all the time. The internet's not real life. It's a fraction of a fraction. Excellent. Most people exactly. on the internet are lurkers. They don't interact. So it's like what we see yeah. is all the people that are down to put up with social media at 10 years deep. Bro, that's who's talking right now. That's a select few people. You know, I can't, I, you just got to remember it's not everybody, everybody. What you saw in real life, that's probably more what real life is. Because yeah. still not everybody, everybody. Yeah, exactly. Real life. But that's it. Walking there, just walk, taking that walk with those people, man. It's like I saw there's a couple of moments that were just like, wow. And it felt a lot better than sitting in my living room on my computer. You know what I mean? Even though my intentions are whatever. Just being there. I didn't even do shit. I just walked with these people. You know what I mean? And, and there was thousands of people there. There was just a few moments that just really encapsulated um, what was trying to be done there and shit like that. That, to me, is like a good, honest... Mm small example of like community activism that does make a change because it makes a change in the local hearts and minds of people to so look at each other in a more of a accepting light i guess nah i'm gonna put it different i saw this there was this moment man it was this love old, old first nations dude there was this old first nations dude sitting there and he was watching us go by and i saw like the whitest nerdiest white dude walking by with a sign and you know the shirt and all this and he just stared at this dude with his fist up as if like to say like thank you for doing this basically and there was a bunch of little moments like that you know what i mean as well as the speeches and the, the shit like that that honestly man, man that's like that's the kind of shit that made me want to get back into it that's love right that's what i call little it shit happening it's exactly. love exactly and it's not based in it's not based in ego or it's not based mm -hmm. in ego all over the internet and shit like that it is it's based in like you said it's love it's actual community that's the thing is where the project. internet is really bad at showing you love it's really hard to even tell the internet yeah, you want love unless you like cats and that's not love that's weird <laughs> no yeah. my girlfriend yeah. gets weird ass fucking animal videos bro like they know what she wants like it's yeah, crack yeah. cocaine and they fucking feed it to her and then she gets me to watch this weird shit and the next thing you know okay you know how you said you got like a lot of random Facebook solicitation. I personally do too, but I got yeah. the strangest one today. And it happened today. Guy adds me to Facebook, a bunch of rapper mutual friends, and he sends me two cat videos. And I'm like, what? <laughs> just this little baby cat getting fed. I'm like, I don't know if he meant to do this on purpose, if it was by accident, but I've never Now that I have that. your attention, check out my new video. But that never came. It was just, no <laughs> two cat videos i'm like this is right. too weird i'm not answering this that's 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 staying on red um <clears throat> but uh yeah so social media is not good at real life and then i realized like like the dm like your know, covid made me realize like 
Work was a negative environment for me because I didn't necessarily fit in. And I feel like gossip is a very prevalent thing in that environment. And I'm like, it it, it affects you when you're in a lot of gossip pools. Um, And then all of a sudden I'm by myself and like with my girlfriend and shit. But like what really changed is the access of people into my life, right? So all of a sudden the only people I talked to were people I really wanted to talk to. I just cut out all the negative shit. And there was a lot more love in my life than I ever realized because I was so fixated. I know it's all corny, but I was so fixated on the hate. I I never saw the love. And then I, now that I've seen the love, bro, it's like I can't unsee how many people give a shit about me. So, yeah, sometimes I have moments. There are certain people. I, oof, if I could, I would. But, like, um, at the end of the day, like, yo, motherfuckers. And it's so strange, but they'll just tag me in a Facebook post being like, Holden's the guy. And I'm like, yo, I can't be like, I mean, come on. But then it's like, even with that, like, I realized that when I would argue with pure passion and vigilance to try to make points with certain people, it would like get me nowhere. But then when I changed my approaches entirely and I went really calm or more docile, I stopped swearing. Um, I never insult people. That's the one mistake y'all do to get Facebook jail. Y'all just insult people willy-nilly. Like, you're out of it. Just, if you say the word, you're a, delete that sentence, you won't go to Facebook jail anymore. That's like my Honestly, um, I'm guilty of that. I've got a fucking temper, bro. And I'm an idiot sometimes. I'll let my emotions get ahead, it's, get the bro, best of me. It's not I mean, just you. That's, uh, it's, it's, but that's it's, on me. It's uh, No, it's like a whole, half my Facebook oh, yeah, is like, in Facebook jail half the time. And we're like, it's like yeah. it's weird i'm like i never caught a ban one time so i can get away with murder on facebook right now because the second you catch a ban it's like real life it's over the parole officers watching well, you and i, shit. I caught a few during blm i mean like last year during the whole george floyd thing man i thought that there was a few things where i was just like okay i'm gonna say this now and then i got banned for saying the things that i said <laughs> you know what i mean i just i don't know man i see certain things in the world and i'm like how fucking dare you and then like i feel like it's my place to go and i don't know so Man, it's, don't it's know. all about the how right it's a weakness it's a weakness it's also you know? about so like this shit is like seed planting right like if you ever want to take on a person you have to go a little more art of war with it a little bit more data gathering you have to understand the person you're talking to so sometimes we go confrontational with a person and it's like we, we do that based on what would work with us maybe maybe that's what you feel would be the most like like on that golden rule shit do what i you know whatever i want to go do the debate thing or whatever but it's often not the right approach the best approach is to See, that's my thing is i don't even mean to play get mad into these debates i just but when you have that feeling just say it all in a way where you delete the words your uh every single time you write the words your uh just try it like that. Just never write the words you even, are even though, But even the debating without the insulting and shit like that, I find myself like, why the fuck am I doing this? This is pointless. This is pointless, pointless, pointless. And what I've been doing, I find is much more useful to me is when I feel like I have something that's worth saying on Facebook, I just pull out my fucking pad and I write that shit down. You know what I mean? I don't write a, I don't write a rap or anything necessarily, but like they just write shit. You know what I mean? it's much more useful to write these ideas for myself for later use rather than putting them on Facebook to be fucking, you know what I mean? To be picked apart and, and judged and thrown back in my face by whom the fuck ever. You know what I mean? All about the delivery. <laughs> uh, I find there was value in learning how to do it 
so like if you ever want to practice trust facebook's a useful place to learn how to express an idea because the second you can get to a point where people aren't twisting your shit in your face you have officially politicked that idea into usefulness when you can get yeah, people sure. to just be for like sure. i see your point i hate this point and you can be like yeah i see your point i hate that point we don't agree on this this yeah, is man. facts though you agree this is facts yeah i agree that's facts it's almost like I don't know. It's also, it's also recognizing when a person is into semantics and when a person is genuinely interested in change. Sometimes what happens is people are doing a thing for social media engagement because they're trying to sell you tickets to something in the future. Or they're right. working on a project right now. So they share videos and they do things like that. What do you do in between? I chose, you know, straight up, I tried it for a while. I started asking stupid ass questions about like what people want to do in their life. I just forgot. But like, yo, you so you do some shit like that. You start looking at how can I say shit that will get the numbers I'm trying to achieve in terms of engagement for X, Y, Z reason. <clears throat> and then you're not posting because you want people. Like, I, I'm not saying for myself, but it gets to a point where you're not really posting for um, the sake of giving a shit what anyone's thinking. You're posting just to get motherfuckers to say dumb shit on your shit so you look like a, a gangster when you come in and slay the demons and shit because it's all ecosystems because the fuckers you're impressing are your clients and thus that person is actually doing really amazing business because they make money on this yeah. and a lot of times we fall into traps because we don't know that that's what that person is doing so we we come at it different versus there are times when it's actual ignorance and it's sometimes worth it to have the conversations no doubt <clears throat> and that's the that's part of the that's part of the struggle too is picking when to engage in a polite <clears throat> or even an otherwise heated debate and and otherwise not to like get involved in what is obviously just a cry for attention or, or just mm. um you know what I mean? Or, or even just people just trying to stir up controversy. Or even like, why? Even Why are you going to have this whole debate with somebody that obviously, obviously sees the shit completely differently than you do? You're both going to go back and forth and get frustrated with each other. But neither of you at the end of the day is going to change your minds about it. You know what I mean? I have a good answer for you so, if you're an entertainer. If your goal yeah, is... Yeah, sure. No, no, I'm not even playing. I did this like lunch and learn at work. I mean, I mean, just in this, I mean, strictly in the sense of talking to people on social media. Who the you know fuck I mean? is posting You're this not type of shit? You're not going to minds on your fucking comments. You know what That's I mean? That's not the goal. That, that isn't the goal. The goal is not ever to change your mind. They don't give a shit about you. Dude, I don't actually give a fuck if people agree with me or not a lot of times. I gave that up a long time ago. What I want to know is what you think. So I'm going to do everything in my power in a lot of ways to make you talk as much as I possibly can because especially like if you're trying to get intelligence on a person the more you make them say in a controlled way the more powerful your situation and knowledge set becomes but on top of that we go back to entertainment I brought up so people like to tell me there's no such thing as an attention span no more and I'm like I don't know if that's true and I have two really valid arguments that people can't argue with one is the Marvel Cinematic Universe that shit makes no sense if people have no attention spans. Way too many people spend way too much time focused on that shit, in my opinion. I'm not into it that much, but attention spans. The other is spicy Facebook debates. Come on, bro. That shit's entertaining as fuck when you're not involved. Just watch that shit play out. 
you're like, mm. that's why people do it if you're an entertainer, because you want the eyes on your fucking name, because you're going to convert that into literal dollars in XYZ time. That is so foreign to me. Sorry? <laughs> that is so, that is so alien to me. That is so foreign to me. Like, that I've is watched so, you argue with I, people that are literally doing this. Yeah, but to monetize myself? I've done it strictly out of ego. I've done it strictly out of because I feel like it's my place to have these conversations with these people, which is what I'm trying to say right now is at the end of the day, so fucking self-serving. You're not changing anybody's minds by having these debates. So at the end of the day, if you're doing it, especially if you're doing it to monetize yourself or draw attention to yourself to what, to draw recognition for your brand or whatever the case, I don't know. Like that's just so fucking far from, my life, my reality, the way that I see the world, I just don't get that shit. I feel you know what I mean? Huge learning curve. I'll just be honest that like I get locked in these dumb debates with sometimes with people that I respect enough that we can have the debate and it doesn't go awry. But you know what I mean? When it does, um well it's 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 on me, bro. It's for me and my ego and my fucking my temper. You know what I mean? I guess what I was <clears> going with right. it is if you engage with people that aren't there for the same reasons as you, it becomes a bad thing. And it is a bit of a challenge, but you yeah, kind of have to be aware that some people are doing that shit. Like, that's a real thing that happens. And you have to be able to speak to people who... It's so rare to find someone, to have a conversation with someone, and for anyone to at some point in the conversation say, hmm, I didn't ever think of it like that. You know what I mean? To actually make somebody think of something differently. Bro, how fucking rare does... Like, how, how seldomly does this ever happen? I built my brand... Right? on what you just described. I built my brand on being the guy that will admit he's wrong and change his mind live on cam and shit. So yeah, trust, I know what you're saying. Cause it's, it's kind of like, like allowing me to grow. If more people were, if more able to people, if more people were able to do that shit and say, you know what, maybe I'm wrong about this. Or at least to say like, I didn't think of it like that. I kind of see it from your point of view. I don't know. A little bit I, more. I, mean, I, I take a few things with it. I got privileged with the political education by accident at work on some circumstances that most people I know, especially in the art world, just never got to experience. So, like, it's hard for me to fully appreciate it because I realize all the things I had to learn and a privilege driven. Yo, do my last name is Roy. Okay. I did have a slightly easier fucking time in this place. And like, I got to this point where like, I'm getting these like, you know, real, real advice points from like actual mentors and shit and like corporate navigation and like how to express my ideas in ways that like, I can do this. And it wasn't like some simple shit. We're talking years of losing out on promotional, like, like money at work, bosses being like, bro, it can't be like this no more. Okay, Holden, we're going to have a chat about how you had that conversation with this guy and literally for it because he's your boss. What are you going to do? You want, you know, and then so like, I don't think many people did that. Right. And so like I learned how to do it because of that process. And how do you convince people to go through that process of self-reflection? We're talking about some big changes that a lot of people would have exactly. to start going through. But it's really going to take forever. And that's the other part of it is that it takes years. Like, let's say everyone agrees. I right, we're going to do it today, bro. It's going to be five years before anybody's even half decent at it. So that's the other part of it yep. is that patience that like, 
we are also need to develop as the world wants to evolve. Because even some of these people, <coughs> they, maybe they want to evolve. They just don't know how yet. You know, like, it's like a Pokemon. It's like when the Charmeleon was having a bad time in Pokemon before it was able to become a Charizard. I don't know if you know what I mean, <laughs> but I was really into that shit for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about the hip hop cafe because I know you want to go there and you want to discuss that. A lot. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, absolutely. Uh, yeah, looking forward to that. So let's get a. You had Olivier on the show recently, right? Yeah. The last I heard, he's basically um, trying to get a spot, and he was killing it for a grant. And he said, "Holden, if you're not willing to be sleep deprived and physically fucking sick with the stuff he knows as a rapper." Come on, Olivier, I rap. I can't have a stuffiness. Hear that? That's what sleep deprivation did to me. Anyway, uh, but basically it was like, bro, if you don't want it bad enough, fuck you. You're not hungry enough. You don't believe in yourself. And his his interview was the most pro- like. I would I would say of the value I gained, his is the highest value I've gained out of all interviews because he showed me that Quebec really does have low self esteem and he's fucking right. And people do not believe in themselves. I believe he is extremely extremely wise. Uh, Really chill, really, really cool dude. Um, but he's like very wise. I find uh, he's low right. key got a lot of fucking, a lot of knowledge, you know, a lot of wisdom. Um, yeah, actually, I caught most of that that interview. Where I had to make sure I did. Yeah. Um, so, what has he told you about the cafe so far? I mean, like, has he told you anything about what he plans to do with it? Uh, alcohol, restaurant. Jay Deville's going to be the chef at it. I said, oh, well, if that's the case, Jay Deville's got to come on the show. Hey, Jay Deville, why not be on the show? Um, and then he was like, well, I need a location. I want it to be the old concept, but like better. And the reason it wasn't better the last time, and then mostly we talked about that. So I guess we're going to go into what his original okay. vision was going to be. But as far as Yoro, you and all that, I mean, I don't really remember if he explained in detail how you guys got connected. I don't know, man. That was a bit. Of, it was a five-hour well, fucking well, interview. He reached out to me. He reached out to me <clears throat> a little over two years ago <clears throat> and told me about his plan to reopen Hip Hop Cafe. Okay. And uh, I was obviously extremely excited. Um, and I had known him for about a year or something, maybe a year and a half at this point, whatever, we've done, we've met at several shows, whatever, whatever. And he reaches out to me and he says, hey man, uh, how do you feel about this? And he brings up being the chef there and I was like, holy shit, like, that's that's huge for me, you know what I mean? And it, it all seemed kind of abstract for a little while because we didn't speak about it for very, very much there, but uh, I did compile, I've actually compiled, I think, three or four different uh, drafts of the menu that I proposed to him. Um, <laughs> over the months, over the months and years, um, and I've been super excited about this for a very long time. Basically, he he wanted to look for, I guess, somebody that had uh, not only the kitchen experience, but would be excited to jump on a project like this because of uh, the, you know my involvement with the hip hop community and all that too. So um, obviously, I was like, "Fuck yeah, dude!" I mean, like, obviously. Like, I had other things going on at that point in my life. I had just started a new job and all that. Um, and he was like, yes, this is going to be in a little while. Obviously, COVID happened. That impeded everything. Um, but I've actually sat down and created, I think, yeah, three or four different menus um, that I proposed to him to, that, that we can do there. And the final one that I've, I've, drawn, I've drawn up, um, we agreed. 
we agreed on. Um, basically, he likes it, and I, I think that I'm going to be making this food. Basically, the food I'm going to be making is uh, it's going to be a lot of flavors. It's going to be a lot of like humble food made well. Um, yeah, I don't want to give away too much. You know what mm -hmm. I mean about oh the menu and its contents right now. That's fair, because then you're like Olivier may not be thrilled with this, or you may change it. And... I may change. I like. I don't think I will at this point. I think the menu that I've come up with at this point is like it's solid. So I'm like, um, I don't know what the fuck humble but... is. I don't know what that means. That sounds like foodie words. I'm like, fair enough, my guy. I'm certain there are people though that are picturing what you said and they're like, bro, I get you. And I'm like, well, I actually have like some people follow me a lot more for my food porn than they have for my music over the years. You know what I mean? <laughs> Working in kitchens and getting getting the opportunity. <clears throat> the opportunity to like fuck around with food and create my own shit and instagram at the same time gave me a little bit of a you know what i mean honestly an opportunity to show off other shit that i do so a lot of people know me for my food porn and if you've seen anything from me that you like what you're gonna get at hip-hop cafe will be like that but threefold it's going to be exponentially better because I'll have the equipment and I will have everything I need and I'll have it down to a science mm. and you'll love it. <laughs> I'm not worried about um, loving it or not. I'm going to eat it and I'm going to be like, that's food I did not make myself. It is delicious and wonderful. And I'm pretty fucking into the idea of eating your food. I'm not even going to lie. But I also think that you're not even the only one that like got into this food porn shit. There are quite a few people I know that like I, it wasn't what they did that caught their my attention. It was their food porn, and the biggest one of that yeah. is uh, the homeboy Peter West. Ridiculous. Oh, Pete West, yeah, yeah. And he makes great food too. Have if you yet? ever had anything? No. Anything from him? Which is. I mean, oh at this God. point, Peter West and I are pretty good buddies. We sometimes have little, like, little, like, voice sessions and shit. Never met the motherfucker in real life. He lives in the South Shore, and I live in Montreal without a car, and he's busy, and I don't Buddy, know. Buddy, I car. went and actually jumped on the metro to go meet dude at Longueuil to bring me some patties, because I mean, like, I'm a slut for patties, and, you know, that's my dude. That's like, I mean, I, I want the patties. I don't want the fucking patties with that kind of time commitment. No offense, Peter West. <laughs> that would have happened otherwise. Hey, man. I mean, for me, anyways, for it's took me 20 minutes to get to Longer Metro. 25 minutes to get to Longer Metro, oh, so it's not a big deal. It would not take me 25 yep. minutes to get there. It would take me, anyway, it would be a significant length of time. And then, I, I, you're even, done now, right? I'm in an EG, and I'm like fucking by Code St. Luke's, who, you actually, I need to meet the guy. Yeah. Because the motherfucker and I have an <laughs> album coming, and this motherfucker, I want him in this motherfucking music video. Because I'm like, how am I supposed to go do this track with you, and you're not gonna show up and be in the video? And I just need him to stand yeah. there, literally for an hour, <laughs> for like two shots, hey. and that's all I need. And then, little known fact, Peter West showed up for one of my video shoots of the two music videos I have in my entire career. Mm. Um. <laughs> Yeah, for the, the music video for Who Are We, there's a scene where there's a whole bunch of us. And most of Top Lost Tracks is there. <clears throat> and Peter West fucking showed up. This was the first time I met him. He's just kind of chilling there with his glasses on, sitting in the background. But uh, yeah, if I can get him in 2012 to make a cameo appearance in a 
video of mine, then uh, I don't see why you shouldn't appear in one of yours. Because he's no? fucking busy. <laughs> I go, that's true, that's true. That's the answer that's to true. everyone's question. It's like, bro. Anyway, but I'm more like, dude, the song's nearly done. We need to get the video. Because I can't release shit if I can't get you in the video. And I'm not going to do it. If he won't. So he, anyway. It has to be an NDG. That's the other part. <clears throat> Cause I'm not going to fucking shoot some shit in long. What the fuck does elongated mean? You know, I don't mean shit to me. It's gotta <laughs> be, be like. I don't even know what it looks Tasha like, Ola. bro. I don't know what any, you asked me about the shore, and it's like a fucking fog. I've been there. I know there are places. I know there's a little scratch. I know it's near the. There was a little scratch. Okay, there, there was. was. I'm pretty so. sure there was a Krispy Kremes or some shit like that. I don't know. Yeah, that's still there. But like end of the day, bro. My parents are from there. Like, well, like, my dad still lives there, so I I gotta go by there once in a while. But like, I've I literally had to go to the South Shore once in the last decade. Really had to, and it was to return my fucking modem to eBox. And I was like, you're making me go to the the yellow line, like I, and pass around. <laughs> And it was the first time in my fucking life, like I ever gone there. Cause why am I going to the South Shore? Like to me, like. And then I realized Duskrad's down there, and now I'm like, well, fucking Duskrad's gonna be doing shit down there. I'm gonna want to go. But like, in general, it's like I don't know why. Like I, I just man, there's you know how few, you know how many places in Montreal I've discovered now that I'm cycling around that are cool that I just never been to. You're finding bike yeah. paths and shit. You're like, this has been here my whole fucking life. This place is big, man. But I'm like, since, since I moved uptown, I've discovered like, have you ever seen the, the the fucking woods and the lookout in Westmount? What's it called? Um, the Summit Woods and like the Summit Lookout or whatever in Westmount. I'm a. It's ridiculous. It's like there's a bunch of like super rich houses at the very top of like, I guess Cotonage, what becomes Westmount. There's a big forest, which is pretty trippy. And then at the bottom of the forest, there's like a lookout that looks over the whole like kind of southwestern part of the city that I never knew existed. It was obviously the one, you know, by park extension where you can look over the east side of the city that everybody knows about. But this was a different one. And it's like a 30 minute walk from my fucking doorstep. Bro, I'm going (laughs) to shoot a video there. I'm going to get Peter Rice to show up there. No, it says temporarily Ooh, closed on Google Maps. Fun. I don't want to break in and get caught on video with Peter West. He won't like me then. Um, <laughs> but no, that's really dope. That's what I mean. Like, there's so much dope shit like that. Um, and I don't know how I got on there. But that's why I got Well, I guess now my attitude's different is what I was trying to say. Before, I didn't give a fuck. But I still want my music videos to be in NDG. Because, yo, I'm just trying to rep NDG right now. That's where we at. 166,000 people. Yeah, we should probably focus on trying to build a little community. It's probably a good 5,000 that would put dollars into us. If there's that many people up in Zionsboro, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, this is just basic mass of this shit. That's a reasonable percentage. <clears throat> I'm just trying to emphasize yeah. that for whoever may end up watching this that knows you and will be like, yo, I watched the Jade Field one. I know y'all are selective with the ones you watch, <laughs> motherfuckers. I'm aware because you all tell me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Meticulous does do food porn too. Yeah, food porn's cool. And I think your menu's gonna be dope. I think people are gonna appreciate it. I'm excited at the idea of you returning to rap and shit. You should show up in the park with us then. Uh yes, actually well can you remind me when in We don't oh, have a next date yeah, picked. Day? We don't have a date picked. Okay. It's more of a... I realized that nobody's ever going to be able to play nice with the schedule with the little core group. So I just need to get a bigger group of people and run it like that and figure out who the fuck comes down. Because otherwise, I'm not going to have what I want with the park thing. 
Oh wow. Okay. So idea is to like randomly show up at places and rap songs. I don't care as much about freestyling as much as I care about songs. People can freestyle whatever, whatever, but I want to film people stream live performing songs in parks because then I don't have any, I don't think we're cool enough to have to worry about permits, but I also realized I was being too paranoid and we can run Facebook events. So that's bless. Dude, that's amazing. I'm actually super down. Let me know because I've got my USB full of my songs ready to go. No, you're going to have to come and just, like, nah, walk around. Email around. that to whoever DJ person is and we're going to run it okay. bad like because it can't be too good. If it's too good, five O's come. <laughs> okay it's weird be fun. So okay. you have to toe the line i don't know how to do it yet the tech sound is shit on the live the live though is not really about a good show it's more to be like we're in this park fuck you you're not in the park with us that's my intention with the live it isn't about sounding amazing i want the live in person to sound good enough for the people there anyway that kind of shit that's yeah. that's where i'm at with cool. that that's dope yeah let me know about that that sounds actually like super fun I'll figure it out soon. My life got like stupidly busy the last two weeks, but now that I'm on the tail end of the stupidly busy, um, I'm like able to think again, and that's that's fun. It's nice to think again. But yeah, um, I really do look forward to your music. When do you see yourself going back to the stew in general? Do you have any kind of a timeline on that? I'd be lying if I said anything definitive. Respect. Uh, uh, to be completely honest. Um, but you're not the only one that's telling me this. And uh, I, I think about it every fucking day, dude. Mm. And I got to break out of my cycle of second guessing myself and my cynicism and my, and just fucking create again. And I'm sure once I do that, I'm going to feel a lot better about it and actually feel motivated to write new music and all that shit. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Definitely. But uh, hopefully in the next year, you know what I mean? Uh, you know what? Now you just telling me this is making me want to go and write a fucking song. That's what so I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, no, you know? that's the right vibe. Thank you for the love, by the way, bro. I do appreciate that. Uh, I mean, to me, it's just really important to try to like, look, there's only so many English people. And unfortunately for me, I'm not 20. And the 20 year olds, as much as they respect me, do not want to hang out with me. Understandable. Um, yeah, you probably don't want to hang out with them either. No, though. I really do. <laughs> I fuck, I fucks with them. I fucks with young people. I want to find like, <coughs> I want to find like 15, 20 year olds I really like and have them. <coughs> but I don't know that I want to fuck with all the 20 year olds. But there's some of them that are super cool that I really do like hanging out with. And then they teach me about Instagram and TikTok and how to think. And I'm like, all right, I'm a more adequate young adult than I was as an old adult. And I find that it's actually really important. And then you like get to have this cool mentorship mentee kind of thing where they teach you about young dumb shit you forgot about and you teach them how to not be as dumb. It's really a good reciprocal thing that I think a lot of people in their 30s should look into is find a 20 year old or two you like. You're going to fucking like your life more <laughs> because they're going to like help yeah, you see shit different. Well, a couple of years ago, I went and I discovered a couple of younger artists coming up who even have told me they listened to my music when they were in high school and shit. And I was like, uh, you're one of the 8,000 people that saw that video. That's cool. I guess I know it's, um, but, um, <clears throat> no, it's big years later. I end up, I end up meeting people like, uh, if you ever heard of Vishan or Shemji, uh, guys like that, who I ended up meeting who are like a little bit younger than myself, but extremely talented and hungry MCs. You know what I mean? Um, 
Vishan's a crazy good rapper and super chill kid. And uh, Shem, man, if you've ever heard of Shem G, Shamar, he's super, he's multi-talented. He's extremely, like, his personality, bro, he's... Anyway, there there are younger people coming in the city who, like, yeah, made me feel like... Yeah, like, it made me feel like this is why I want to keep doing music because of this, you know what I mean? Because I was part of this community that helped one person to this person, like, just like when I was younger, I would look at people like CL, for example, you know, and we all become friends years later because we're all part of this community. Just the magic of that alone is kind of worth it for me, you know what I mean? Yeah, I hear that, man. Yeah, I appreciate you, Jay Deville. I appreciate you coming through with this. I'm not a thousand percent sure what to say to keep the conversation going at this point, which is usually where my brain's like, it's a good time to like end it. You pushed it long. We made up for any broken time. Trust you got a good lengthy yeah, chunky one. I'm in. sorry about the beginning about nah, that, dude. Too, by the it's way, all good. Like I said, man, it's the live. It was a test of patience. <clears throat> There were a couple of times where if the Zoom was a person, I may have been tempted to slap a Zoom. <laughs> but, like, it's not you yeah. that the tech is being what it is. It's just the circumstances of a moment, and we roll with it or we don't. That's just the, that's the, in my opinion, yeah. the difference between the party and the fucking serious version, you know? <laughs> anyway, but uh, I really appreciate it. Well, yeah, thank you for... Yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, man, thank you for having me uh, come and talk to you, bro. This is super chill. And I appreciate you doing this, trying to bridge the gap, you know what I mean? And uh, bring the community closer together, because we do need that. You can't complain if you don't contribute to the solution, is my general rule of life. So if I want to complain about politics, now I have to participate. But now, thank all the live people, too, because a bunch of people stuck through all of that, man. Like, there was, like, eight or nine people yeah. that just, like, stuck. Yo, Golden Jenny's still here. Golden Jenny sat through it and was even given encouraging emotes and shit. So, like, shout out all the people who watched, all the people in the future who are going to watch, all of you who do amazing comment, like, subscribe, follow, whatever platform you're on, blabbly bloops. Special thanks to the patrons. It's Milgan Amster, Chris Potter, Jonathan Bryan, CG Black, Hurricane, Linda Williams, Scribble Dope, support what we do. Patreon.com slash behind that suit if you want to be cool like that. Um, and on that note, I'm going to appreciate everybody again. Definitely live long and prosper, everybody. Thank <music> you.